You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Well, hey there, all you tri freaks and geeks, and welcome to another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon, the podcast where we go long on endurance, talk about all the good stuff to make you faster in triathlon, and also the things to make the world's most complicated sport, three sports in one, much more simple by throwing in a little zen to make triathlon more simple and also to make you a better person along the way. All right, this episode, we have some cool stuff, got a lot of triathlon news, and a little bit of detail about triathlon Taryn, the YouTube star, and then a ton of training log where I take you with me out on the open road and do a bunch of training and stuff like that. I guess we'll talk a little bit about Hurricane Harvey as well. I have um, some training and emergency response in this area that it hit, so I can give a few tips on that uh, before we get into the training log. Or maybe, um, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it before the training log, not at the end of the show. All right, so let's go ahead and get started with the uh, triathlon news. Here we go. All right, the biggest thing going on right now is Garmin introduced their new pedals. A while back, they introduced power meter pedals, and a bunch of companies started trying to introduce them at the same time. Garmin's were kind of funky with extra little pods on the outside and all kinds of all kinds of accessories. They actually bought theirs from a a different company, a, a few people that were trying to put them together. It's a really great idea because all you got to do is switch the pedals from bike to bike. And uh, usually a power meter is in a wheel or it's in your crank or something like that. So it's a lot harder to move. A lot of times, if it's in your crank, it's kind of affixed to the bike forever. Almost. You have to move your whole crank over. But let's say you want to ride your road bike you know, and you still want to get power. Well, you can just move these pedals around. So Garmin did theirs and it's got a little... Uh, like I said, little pods on the outside. You had to be kind of finicky with installing them and measure torque and all this stuff. And then Power Tap. <laughs> Power Tap is so awesome. They are the Zen company of power meters. They're so good. They said, hey, here's some. And they <laughs> introduced some <laughs> that required no, no, almost no maintenance, almost no uh, calibration, nothing. They just work, which is just like their rear hub. And some chain rings, too, all at the same time. And we're cheaper than the Garmin's. And anyway, Garmin um, did version 2, and now they're on version 3 of these pedals. And now I would say these are worth plunking some money down on. They do take, um, I think it's like four little watch batteries, like button batteries, not the flat ones like the CR2032s, but like these little batteries and you put them in. But they are, I think they require no calibration. They're real simple, easy to use. And I, but there is a, there is a big but in this. Uh, there's a thread. I might start doing a thread of the week on slow twitch. And if there was one, there'd be two is uh, somebody got their pedals their vector pedals, their Garmin vector power meter pedals, stolen out of T1. He got out of the swim. Uh, it was a European Ironman. I forgot which one it was. And his pedals were missing on his bike. Some butthead 
took his paddles off his bike when he started, uh, when he got out, before he got out of the water. It's crazy, absolutely crazy. Well, these are a little bit lower profile. They're harder to notice, which is nice. You don't want to attract too much attention to your cool stuff. And yeah, so these are um, 900 and maybe $999. But anyway, they Garmin priced them under uh, power taps. And PowerTap immediately dropped their price to either match or be under it. And that's what's nice about having a whole bunch of, of um, different companies making these out in the market is they start getting a little bit of price war, so they're not gouging you as much. Uh, the, another, the other cool thing about pedal uh, power meters is they are left-right. So I can tell, I get a little foot numbness in my left foot, and I've always wondered, you know, in my... Um, Am I pressing too hard with my left foot? And also, the harder you go, actually, you start switching to favor. Uh, you fa Like, if you're going easy, you favor one foot over the other. And then if you're going harder, um, you might even out or you might favor one foot over the other. And this will kind of tell you that. It's a little bit of not totally necessary, but it's also pretty cool. So anyway, Garmin's new pedals, the Vector 3s, have power meters built inside. I finally would give these thumbs up. And then if you want something similar... A power tap has had some on the market for about a year or so, maybe a little bit longer. All right, Miranda, Miranda uh, Carfrey had her baby. So uh, let's see. Tim O'Donnell is her husband. He is the culprit. <laughs> He's also an excellent uh, pro triathlete. Uh, Miranda is several time. I don't know if it's two or three. Probably two uh, time. Oh, it might be three. Uh, Ironman Kona champion and. Uh, she sat out this year pregnant, the worst sports injury ever, <laughs> as I always like to say, pregnancy. And then um, she just posted on Instagram a few days ago, maybe a week ago, pictures of her baby. And it's seriously cute, guys. It's like a really cute baby. All right. Speaking of female pros, we have Jocelyn McCauley. Um, she, got, she posted on Facebook and Instagram, I think, the picture of her letter of Iron Man offering her her spot to go to Kona. Now, this is big news because Jocelyn is, one, super cool. Two, she's from College Station, where I live right now, and have lived for many, many years. And it's so cool to see a hometown hero going pro and then going to Kona. And three, she's going to do an interview with us coming up soon. She's going to be in town uh, middle of September. Oh my God, I'm so excited. i got to take a sip of coffee. Hold on. I like having coffee um, with these podcasts. I'm wide awake. Give good news. <clears throat> Except I almost choked. Okay. Then, on top of that, let's see. She won Ironman Vichy. Vichy? I don't know how to say it, but it's in France. It was a 70.3. Uh, she posted a few days before the race a picture of her with a flat tire. I was worried she was actually in the race and had another flat. And she posted, why do people... Why does this always happen to me? You know, but just being funny. And I knew I knew she's super smart, but she's also I'm gonna I'm gonna say uber smart or hyper smart because she said something that was really, really scientific and intelligent, which ran up my uh, flag of going, whoa, Jocelyn is really, really smart. So what she said was that. 
So somebody said something about you know, pros get does is it does it seem like pros get flat tires more than other people? And she said actually she thinks it's because pros are more visible. You notice their flat tires more often because they're posting. You hear about them more often having a flat tire because it ruins their race, and that's very public that a pro had a flat, had to change it, right? Um, Lionel Sanders had a, uh, he just won a big race in spite of having a flat tire. It made him angry. <laughs> he raced angry and still won. Oh, uh, uh, triathlon uh, long-distance world championships, which is different than Ironman world championships. The run is a little bit shorter, and the bike is a little bit shorter, I think. And anyway, he had a, t- a flat tire and still won. But how do we know that? We know that because he's a pro. So this perception of reality is tainted by what you, you only know what you see. Well, you only see what people put in front of you. And what people put in front of you is filtered by how popular they are. And pros are more popular. And that's why it seems like pros get flat tires more often. They could get flat tires the exact same as everybody else or even less. So on top of that, I um, accidentally, after the fact, I was like, man, this is a little bit of mansplaining and, and uh, it sounded annoying. I posted on uh, her Facebook feed the, uh, a, a trick to, that we should all know. This is a huge tip that may save you so much time over, the, over your bike riding career. And that's why I figured it was worth it to post it. Bef- it takes, it takes um, many miles of riding often for a piece of glass to work its way through your tire. It doesn't work its way through your tire immediately, right? Now, staple might or, you know, um, a very sharp rock or a piece of metal might. It's happened to me. But in general, a piece of glass takes a while. It can take 10 miles of riding. It could take 20 miles. It could take 50 miles for to finally work its way through. Before you go on your bike ride, before you go on any bike ride that you actually care about, which should be most, and you take your bike into a dark, dark, turn off the lights somewhat, get it dimmer in the, in the room that you're in. Go in your garage and close your garage door so it's dark, but have a flashlight with you or your phone, your LED on your phone is a really good one for this. Now, point it at your tire and spin your tire very slowly and get close to your tire and look. A piece of glass in your tire will glint in the uh, in the light, the sharp light of a flashlight compared to the darkness around it. It doesn't have to be pitch black, but it will show up and then you can tell it's glass because glass has edges and, and flat surfaces so it'll reflect the light a little bit. It works somewhat. You don't totally have to do it in the dark. And then also have with you something sharp and thin like a knife blade or a fingernail file is actually a good thing. And then you can pick out the piece of glass out of your tire uh, with that and then keep on moving. And it's actually amazing how many times you'll find a piece of glass in your tire before you go out on a bike ride. Happens, I'd say, four or five times uh, every few months, I guess, when I'm riding outside. And that's, man, imagine, and I hardly ever get flat tires because I'm doing that. I also get a flat tire on occasion, but much, much more rare. Isn't that neat? Okay, well, that was your tip built into your news. Pretty cool stuff. And let's see. Bad news. Uh, somebody died at Mont uh, Treblant Ironman up in Canada, as I like to say. Um, it looks like he was in a bike wreck, and then 
was so injured that later on the run he collapsed and, and died, which is really interesting and sad. I mean, it's definitely sad and tragic, but that's odd, you know, that something happened on the bike and then he um, he uh, died later on the run. But that's as the story came out. There's probably more details to that. One of my uh, good friends growing up, he got hit by a car biking the school. <laughs> like a block from the school. And then he parked his bike, went in the first period, and then halfway through first period, uh, passed out from shock. <laughs> he went all the way to the rest of the way to school, locked up his bike, walked through classes and sat down in the classroom and then uh, passed out from shock like uh, later. <laughs> the car hit him and he went up on the hood of the car from what I remember. He was a tough guy. He ended up being a Navy SEAL. Anyway, then uh, some... Bad, sad news is trysports.com is going out of business. And while we are here, let's see what happens if I try to go to their website. Uh, they tried floating the uh, store. It was a it was a pretty good um, little business they had going. Trysport is it Trysports? Is that what I said? Trysports.com. So a web-based uh, retailer. Does it say anything that uh, going out of business sale? There was a big article about it on um, Slow Twitch. Maybe they got some extra funding. But anyway, I always thought, man, TriSports would be the the sponsor for you because you could get anything that you want. <laughs> and so much of what we need is triathletes changes. It, it sucks being locked down with like a single company over something like gear wise because other companies are always making uh, different gear, better gear. Maybe your needs change over time. You do different distances and things like that. So anyway, uh, I believe it was trisports.com. Of course, looking at their website doesn't look like they're showing anything. Anyway, so there's all that. I guess let's bring the news back up and talk about something super cool. I want to talk to you about the bike, bike of the week. Okidari, king of the mountain. Let's go, king of the mountain. Oh, Come on, let's go. He doesn't know what it is. <laughs> All right, bike of the week is brought to us by our buddies over at Velosurance. Which, are, which is a bike insurance company. And if you have a triathlon bike, it's probably worth as much as your car, <laughs> or at least your first car. Mine, with, mine is for sure. And you might wanna get it insured uh, because your homeowner's insurance and your car insurance will not cover your bike during much of your triathlon escapades out there but we'll talk about that in a minute let's go ahead and get to the cool stuff let's get to the bike of the week i realized when i was making this list of why you should know what's to know about the diamondback andean that man i love bikes so much <laughs> and why am i going into all this detail over some bike but that's just the way I am, I guess. Okay, so the Diamondback Andean is that bike that was released about a year ago. And at first it was kind of like vaporware. I mean, is this thing actually, there's hardware, software, and then vaporware is something that people have proposed. But, you know, it's like a Sasquatch, Yeti, the Loch Ness Monster. Are you actually going to see it for real? Is it really going to happen? Well, when I was watching the Norseman uh, transition to, I saw Jordan Rapp getting off of his 
had a black Diamondback Andean and uh, transitioned to the run. And I was like, yeah, this thing is for real, man. And it looked really good. And there's so many different bikes to choose from. So I thought I'd talk about this one since I just saw it. And I actually did a lot of research on it because it's so different and so interesting. And it really broke the mold when it was presented. So last year, right before Kona, Diamondback introduced this thing. And what makes it stand out immediately is it seems, it, from the side, it seems really large. Like there's a lot of material. And that's how you immediately notice it. And it's because the down tube, the down tube is the part of the frame that goes from the head tube, you know, above the, above the front wheel down to the crank, right? So it's at an angle. That's called the down tube. The down tube doesn't just go from where I described, but it also pushes forward and hugs the front wheel. Now it's real narrow, but it looks really thick because it hugs the front wheel and it hugs the front wheel like a racing motorcycle that you would see in, um, Grand Prix motorcycle racing, which is really cool. And their lead desi designers did a lot of YouTube videos talking about why they did this. And what it's supposed to do is it's supposed to smooth out the airflow from the two different wheels that are the centers of the most turbulent uh, areas of the bike. And if you... <laughs> the only two wheels, but the, if you smooth out the airflow from the front wheel to the rear, rear wheel, you've created a lot of control over a lot of turbulence. And instead of, you know, just air going all over the place and creating a, a vacuum suction effect backwards, the wrong way, cavitation and all that, then, uh, the, it makes the air want to flow from the front to the rear a lot more smoothly and should go a lot faster. It's really, a really cool idea. It's surprising that no one has done this yet, actually, when you see it. But it is so radical. It was immediately polarizing. So many people called it ugly. I was like, no, this is, this is beautiful. It's so beautiful that it really um, makes you nervous about riding it because it's just it's so intense looking and different. It is very polarizing. Now, the other thing that a lot of people miss out on is the fact that it's got no seat stays. So carbon fiber bikes are so strong that you don't need the seat stay. And that's where it comes up from the rear axle uh, to comes up at an angle to just behind the seat post, right? A little bit lower than seat post nowadays, but it's um, not necessary because carbon fiber bikes can, can be made so strong that you actually really don't need that. And they're not vertical, but they are at an angle and they come up. And so you get uh, wind flow over these and why not just remove them? You don't need it. Uh, a downside of removing those is you gotta be careful and make sure that the bike is certified to be okay to ride on a trainer. Because if you ride on a trainer, that locks in the rear axle and then the bike doesn't have room to flex and uh, that, that flexing against it, it doesn't have the supports of the seat stays and it could actually crack your bottom bracket. So if you ever buy a bike like that, that doesn't have seat stays, that's one thing always to check out. Okay. So why is the Diamondback Andean important? Well, it's a huge, absolutely huge change on how bikes look. And then once they did it, it was like, wow, that's actually not that dumb. <laughs> it's very actually cool and very smart. And then, um, and technically it should be more aero 
which will prove itself out in the real world. Now, Cervelo introduced a bike a lot like it. Not only did they do it, uh, the front end's almost exactly like it, and then the the um, the lack of seat stays, except it's it's lacking a seat tube as well, so it's a beam bike. It's where a beam sticks out from the from the front and suspends you over the over the uh, rear wheel. And that's um that's uh, a lot of people debate on whether you want a bike like that or not. Um, they're, they're totally fine. They've been making those actually for a long, long time. But it also had the uh, the front down tube uh, hugging the front wheel. And so now you're starting to see two bikes at once with this. And then you're like, this is real. This is a way that um, bike companies, a lot of bike companies could be making this. I even went and took, I have a Trek Speed Concept, which is, you know, a super bike. And I took my aero bottle and pretended I held it like it was mounted to the, um, to the underside of the uh, down tube and it fit. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is, if, if my bike had um, bolts to attach something on the underside of the down tube in the front, you could actually put something there and it would actually improve the aerodynamics, maybe by a lot. It's really interesting. So anyway, back to the Diamondback. Um, Now, Cervelo's is really high priced and they said that's fine by them. (laughs) Cervelo said that. And also it was wind tunnel tested and guess what? It's super, 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 super fast. It actually is very aerodynamic. Now, the Diamondback is actually, the Andean's actually a better deal. Their top-end bike looks to me like it's listed at eight or nine grand, while the Cervelo might be 10, 12, 13, 14, 15 grand, depending on like all this extra stuff that you get on it, because bikes also can come with all these options nowadays. Like By the time your wheels are added in and your power meter and your electronic shifting and things like that, you can really drive up the price. Okay, now I want to talk about what's good, what's lame, <laughs> and what you should know. Um, if you're thinking about buying a bike like this bike or a bike like it, you're going to dive in. And uh, I've been researching bikes like this because I've been buying them and I'm very, very, very picky. And I... I've been looking for the perfect bike for a long, long time. And for me, the Trek Speed Concept ended up on top a few years ago, and that's why I got one of those. But um, this has a lot of what you're looking for in the ideal bike. So what is good is the bento box behind the stem. So many times bike companies make a – their bike is super aerodynamic, but then – the bento box, the thing that you put gels in and stuff behind the stem and extra fuel and cookies and whatever you're going to put in there, um, there's no thought by the bike company about putting about <laughs> having one there. So it's, if you add one, it sticks up like a lump and it looks dumb. And the Andean has the bike stem comes back and then there's you know a big a space, a drop off in a big space. And that's where they put a uh, bento box, which is actually pretty smart, and that makes it more aero. Uh, let's see, the storage box down by the wheel, so where that front area of the frame curves down and hugs the front wheel, 
they actually, um, you can open it up and put stuff in it. Like you don't want to put food in it because you can't reach way down there. But let's say you have a flat tire. Well, your spare tube, your change kit, CO2s, um, tire levers, Allen wrenches, and stuff like that can all go in there. And that is super cool. Super smart place to put that, to use that space. Um, uh, another thing to know is uh, beam bikes, beam bikes, you may not want to get one. Uh, you know, those are kind of questionable and I'm not questionable in like strength or whatever, but like hauling them around and dealing with them uh, can be a little bit iffy for some people. And this is like, and then a beam bike doesn't shield the rear wheel. The rear wheel is like this curve shape and um, the tire is or isn't all that, actually all that aerodynamic and stuff. Well, especially if you're not using a disc wheel, the uh, rear tire is only so, so deep. Well, this bike, because it still has a seat tube, the seat tube shields the rear wheel and creates a greater depth uh, from the rear, the rear wheel uh, to, you know, to the frame. And it's super smart. I don't know why, uh, actually, when you think of it, why you would remove that because <laughs> it's super useful. And then behind that, you could put a, um, a draft box like you see on the Trek Speed Concept or the Quintana Roo, which has this detachable storage area behind the seat tube. And all that, all that put together is a huge aerodynamic advantage. And the... Um, the other thing that's super cool about the Andean is the storage box in the front, down by the front tire, they actually, on the right-hand side, they push it out a little bit, and it comes, it's so cool, it comes in, if you look closely, it comes in front of your crank, it comes in front of the chain rings, so your, your crank and your chain and all those cogs and all that are like really dirty aerodynamically, it's, it's a huge mess. And this, um, this aerodynamic fin under the bike is in front of that, and they bring it out so it covers up the leading edge of it so air slides around it. And the Cervelo does not have that. The P5X does not have that. So it's actually really, really, really cool. Okay, so what is lame about the Andean is the, there is a draft box behind the seat tube, but it's nearly useless um, you might be able to put money in it <laughs> and uh, not much else. Um, they made it thin and it's part of the frame. Like you actually can't detach it. So if you drop something in there and you need to get it out, you'd have to turn your whole bike upside down. And what's so cool like about Trex and Quintana Roos is you can detach them. And then also Quintana Roos has a blinky light built into the back of theirs, which is super smart. You don't ever have to think about it. It's just always there. Okay, so what you should know, some details if you're thinking about getting an Andean, is uh, some misconceptions and also some, some facts. Uh, one misconception is that with all that material in the frame that a crosswind will blow you off the road. You see this in comments all the time. Well, actually, the material's down really low to the ground, and so crosswinds actually don't have much effect on that on the bike that low to the ground. They say it, it doesn't seem to affect handling either at all or to the point where you notice it. And so that's that's a um, it's not a misnomer. That's a uh, 
that's fake news <laughs> that, it, that it's going to get blown around on the road. And then uh, just one little factoid is Diamondback is one word. If you go searching for it, it's not Diamond Spaceback, it's Diamondback. And they used to make killer BMX bikes. When I was a kid, um, GT, Hutch, Diamondback, Kuahara, Redline. Uh, I had a Redline with some with uh, GT handlebars and GT laid back seat posts. Oh, it was so rad. Um, uh, Diamondback was up there in the mix as one of the, the top, top end... Uh, uh, BMX race bikes. So they know how to make great bikes. They've done it a long time. They kind of stepped out of the scene for a while, but it looks like they're back at it. They've had a different Diamondback um, model triathlon bike that's also a good tri bike. Uh, not too, before this one, I was about to say not too long ago. It's still out there. You can still get it. Um, it's got disc brakes. So some people go, oh, that's got to create a lot of aero drag. Those are slow. Well, it turns out in wind tunnel testing, they're just as fast. Um, and or if they are slower, it's barely noticeable. And uh, in testing, real world testing, people actually go faster on uh, on descents and through turns when they have disc brakes on their road bikes and tri bikes. Well, that's really cool because let's say that it is a little bit slower. If if it is a little bit slower aerodynamically, that you would. Um, probably make up the difference with confidence going faster downhill and through turns. Isn't that kind of neat? And let's see. I, You know, my mountain bike has disc brakes, and the difference is amazing going from regular brakes to disc brakes, just the confidence and uh, how much faster you can go. So I, I know what they're talking about. Uh, one thing that's interesting is with all that material making up the frame, uh, the front, the, the area where you would put your water bottles in the front triangle is kind of a bit small. So you want to fit bottles in there, um, you might have a tight fit. You know, that's something I've, I haven't handled one of these in person, but just looking at the pictures, I was like, man, uh, that's kind of tight in there. But also, uh, you should put stuff behind your seat as much as possible anyway. You get one of those rear mounted uh, bottle cage things behind your saddle. And you really shouldn't be putting that much in the uh, front triangle anyway. Okay, what would make it perfect? Um, if the rear storage was bigger and detachable, that's one. And two, the second thing that would absolutely make it perfect if they changed this up would be that that storage area and that area that hugs the front wheel. Why is it a permanent part of the frame? Why isn't it just detachable? And then people could either have it on or take it off. And then it could have like the Trek has were a little lever that you hold it down and then you can pop it off and then you can get your stuff out of there and shake your stuff out right why is it part of the frame not really sure but you could make it um detachable and down low and front and then you could have that aerodynamic effect if you wanted it and if it was you're worried about all these crosswinds then you could remove it um what if you made it so it fit both the front or the rear you know, that would be kind of cool. You could take it off the front and put it on the rear behind the seat tube if you wanted to. All right. So if you're looking at one, what you should do is if you want it to look like a Ducati, which is a very, very nice top-end racing motorcycle, get it in red. <laughs> it will look rad. And they have a bunch of different colors, and you can pick out the um, the uh, the Diamondback uh, logo decal colors too. It's pretty neat. Um, 
if you're worried about what other people will think of you on the on a bike like this and you're self-conscious about it looking a little bit ridiculous, get it in black. The black, uh, black makes things look smaller and uh, Jordan's was black. And when he got off of it, I could barely notice that it had that extra stuff down under the down tube. Um, it just looked like a cool bike. And I had to double do a double take. I go, oh, yeah, that is that is the Andean, you know? So it kind of sh- has a shrinking effect on the size of the bike. And people say in person, this bike doesn't look that big anyway. So don't worry about it too much. Okay, bonus uh, bike of the week is this uh, bike by Bianchi and Ferrari collaborated together and made, I think they made both a road bike and a triathlon bike. It's pretty cool looking. It's like uh, Bianchi's already super cool looking uh, triathlon bike and then with a few little extra things on it. It's pretty neat. Uh, there's almost no Bianchi green on it. Bianchi has a trademarked green color, but um, a ton of red. And it's just something kind of cool to check out. All right. Our bikes of the week were brought to us by Velosurance, our cool new sponsor. I love having them on board because have you ever crashed... <laughs> A carbon fiber bike. Oh my gosh. Carbon fiber does not react well to sliding across blacktop. Carbon fiber like fractures and comes apart. And carbon fiber is expensive. You would not consider driving your car without insurance. And most likely, in almost all cases, it's illegal to drive it without insurance. So why wouldn't you get bike insurance as well if your bike is really expensive? Covers theft crash damage, or loss in transit between home and event sites. What's cool is that Velosurance was founded by cyclists, and they know what it's like to have high-value bikes. They understand where you're coming from, and you don't have to worry whether about whether your insurance company actually covers your bike, because all Velosurance does is insure bikes. And since 2012, they have insured over 30 thousand high value bikes and their owners now insuring your bike may seem excessive but accidents do happen and there's actually also optional coverages like worldwide coverage medical to cover the gap between what you have to pay and when your health insurance has decided to not pay and liability protection if you ever face with a lawsuit related to your bike you know like if somebody runs over your bike and then they try to sue you for damaging their car (laughs) it's happened and uninsured motors coverage uh one you know one time my uh friend at work um he jumped out of the way out of out of a bus and the bus ran over his bike and then uh the uh bus the transit company wouldn't pay for it because they're like well you shouldn't have been there and he's like well you shouldn't have run over my bike (laughs) with your bus how could you not see me i was right in front of you anyway they also do this thing where they can uh take you uh, if you're stranded, uh, up to 35 miles home if you get stuck out there, you know. Now, if if you live in uh, Utah and you're out biking in Jersey and your bike breaks down and then you, I want to go back to Utah, they may say, no, <laughs> that's too far. <laughs> but 35 miles is actually pretty far out. That's 35 miles out, right? That's a, uh, if you're doing that and riding back home, that's a 70-mile bike ride. That's pretty much all you ever need to do out there. Okay, the cost for roadside coverage is $10 a year. Holy cow, that's cheaper than a pair of socks. Anyway, so you can get in touch with Velosurance 
by emailing dave at veloassurance.com. And Dave will personally review your quote and see if you qualify for even additional discounts. Oh, and they get... They give a uh, 10% discount to USAT and USAC members. How about that? Okay, thank you so much. Okay, thank you so much, Velosurance. I almost said Velo News. Velosurance.com. And yeah, I've had my bike insured with them, and I, that was great. I was really happy that I'd done that, especially because I was going all the way to Ironman Canada with that thing. Okay, we also have an email from a visually impaired athlete. Let's dig it up here and see what she has to say. This is really inspiring stuff. Hi, Coach Brett. This is from Diane Bergeron. Bergeron. And she says, Hi, Coach Brett. I really enjoy listening to your show! Exclamation point. It is down to earth and is very entertaining. I wanted to write to encourage you to have a para-athlete on your show. As a blind triathlete, I find it hard to find podcasts where other para-athletes give training and racing tips that work with their specific needs. Oh, now I get it. I read this earlier, but I guess I read it too fast. Um, she wants to be on the show to help give tips and on how to deal with, uh, how, to, how to help people that may be uh, a para, that could be a para-triathlete or an athlete of uh, any caliber. And then uh, how to do it and be uh, how to get it done. This is really cool. We're totally going to do this. I'm not a pro. I'm a regular, everyday person, but I would be happy to chat with you about this. I just completed Ironman Montreblanc with a shocking time of 16 hours and 15 minutes and 57 seconds. Not fast, but since my goal was to get over the finish line healthy, there you go. I love that. Not injured. I'm, I'm raising my fingers right now. One, number two, and strong. Three, it should improve you actually after you recover from it. We got that covered. I met my goal. If you want to know more, you can check me out. My blog, at, and I'll read the address here in a second, but I want to finish reading this. Um, well, actually, while we go to the blog, let me go to the link. Let me say, uh, many episodes ago, we had a female athlete on the uh, podcast, a triathlete on the podcast, and I ran with her. She was visually, majorly visually impaired. Uh, she could see a little bit of light and maybe a little bit of shapes, but she had a genetic degenerative disease, and she's totally blind now. But we ran with a string between us, strung together, and we ran a half marathon together, and it was so much fun. Um, let's see. She is an executive director. She is really kicking butt, and. She's got a picture of her with her dog, this golden retriever. Um, Diane, your golden retriever and you have very similar colored hair. It's really, y'all look really cute together. And let's see. So she's got a blog. How do you get there? C-N-I-B blog. If you Google that, then people can find that. C-N-I-B. Yeah, we'll totally have you on the show. And thank you for um, emailing me. And uh, I'm sure that there are better para-athletes out there for you to interview. Yeah, but I don't really care about that. And then I would be happy to listen in. But if you are stuck for someone, I am happy to pitch hit. And then she put a smiley face. Thank you so much for the podcast. Exclamation point. I love listening to you following your son's journey in the triathlon. Your pride in him is as clear as it should be. Thanks, Di. P.S. Sorry, I didn't put enough exclamation marks. And we have, I'm going to count. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 
9, 10, 11, 12 exclamation marks and a smiley face at the end of it. So yeah, we're totally going to do that. All right, to wrap up the triathlon news, I also want to mention that we had triathlon Taryn almost on the show <laughs> when I did my interview with him. He was interviewing me for his podcast, and when I did my interview with him, um, I hit record, and it failed. But you can hear the whole recording and me rambling on about how I actually got into triathlon. Like, back to the point of how I actually started swimming. I was like, how I got into the swim team, I think that's in there, age nine. How, why I got sent off to military school, what it was like going to the world's most difficult military school. It was run by Marines, and how I ended up in California and then back in Texas, and battling depression, um, almost clinical, almost clinical um, post-traumatic stress disorder from you know having my whole life pulled out from under me in California, having to start all over again back in in uh, Texas, and then finding something worth uh, that made me feel better about myself, and then it all led in the the real question was how did I get into podcasting and get into triathlon, and finding something really amazing and fun to to sink uh, my efforts into that made me really uh, feel like a better person. I was doing something with myself, and then that just snowballed into this this thing, the Zen and the Art of Triathlon, and you know why I got into Zen and all that. And it's a really long, it's like two hours of, of that, and Triathlon Taryn and his wife, Kim, I think, if I remember correctly, are awesome hosts, and they keep me moving along. <laughs> And uh, Triathlon Taron is, uh, he's starting a podcast, but he's been doing podcasts about triathlon, uh, not podcasts, uh, videos. He's got, he's a YouTuber and he's been uh, doing uh, videos about how to do triathlon and a real modern, upbeat, uh, hip, like cool, fun uh, kind of way. And he does it. <laughs> At least half Ironmans. Has he done some Ironmans? I'd have to go look. But anyway, I subscribed to his videos a long time ago because they're really good. And he wanted to uh, team up with me, and we're going to do a lot more stuff together because I really, really like Taryn. I like him a lot because he's very positive, and he is a lot like me where the value in triathlon isn't about himself. He, So many people in triathlon have discovered this sport and it's just so much fun and it makes you feel so amazing that you just want to share it with everybody else. At first you might be kind of like, oh, look at me, I'm a triathlete. But then um, if you successfully uh, outgrow that phase, <laughs> that stage of like, look what I can do, you know, which is part of it, you know, for a lot of us and it's neat. But once you get past that stage, then the I went really quickly into just pure amazement of how awesome it is being a triathlete and all the cool stuff you see. And now you're really living life and things are exciting. It's like so engaging. And the things you see out there training at these crazy hours and and all of a sudden life is like alive and vibrant and just uh reverberating with color and challenges and you're improving yourself and there's it's like a constant puzzle it's so cool uh triathlon Taryn is like exactly the same way he's just eaten up with triathlon and uh, trying to share it with everybody and uh i want people to subscribe to his channel 
on YouTube. And then also, because it's just endless, it's like so cool, like all the, all the tips and everything. And, and he details what it's like trying to be a triathlete. And he's up in Canada, which is different, you know, so you get to see that if you're from the lower 48 and or around the world. And then the, uh, the other thing is he's starting a podcast. He wanted the, tra- the YouTube videos by nature, most of them are real short, you know, a few minutes to 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever long about, and, and there's a lot, that's the way YouTube videos are right now is like jump cuts and like I did this and I did that, look this, look that, and you only got so much time or else you lose people's attention. But a podcast, he said he was really excited about doing a podcast because now you can actually go deep. You can interview somebody for two hours about how they did everything. I was listening to another podcast. It wasn't fat. Was it the Fat Black Podcast? No, that's out of Whistler, Canada. And they're interviewing Jesse Thomas for like an hour or something like that. And how Jesse Thomas got, how he balances being a dad and a top-level triathlete and some really interesting stuff, right, that you can really go in deep. So uh, Triathlon Taron has this new podcast out. He said he's recorded about three or four episodes. And when the first episodes hit the air, I'll probably be like the third episode. And I want you to go check it out. I'm super excited about it and want you to, um, uh, to subscribe to that as well because I'm going to team up with him and do a whole lot more stuff because I said – I like him. I'm more about building a triathlon community and getting more people doing triathlon because I think it's awesome. And the more of us there are, the more resources we'll have because we build the whole thing together. It's pretty neat. Okay, and then the last thing before the um, the training log is we should talk about Hurricane Harvey. I live really close to where it hit. Ground Zero is where we go and uh, go to the beach. Port Aransas, Corpus Christi, uh, Port uh, oh, Rockport was the other name of the town. Hold on, I got a cat banging on my door. I'm going to let him out of here. And he wants to leave the room. <laughs> this is podcasting. And it spun up to a Category 4 hurricane, 4 out of 5. So like 110 to 130 mile an hour sustained winds and pretty much flattened the communities right along that section of the coastline. And Texas has a huge coastline and then moved inland. And then it was, what a lot of people don't know is the dynamics. It's a low pressure and, you know, they hit the, usually they hit the United States and then they kind of take off cruising across the continent. <laughs> but this one had a high pressure, which pushes things away from it on both sides of it. So it had nowhere to go. So it just parked itself over eastern Texas, which is a huge area, by the way. That's bigger than most states, just the eastern third, and just rained for like three, four days. And there was parts around here that got between 30 and 50 inches of rain over just a couple of days. Can you imagine that? It's insane. And um, we live uh, far enough away from the coast on purpose because when I did live in Houston as a kid, we had a giant oak tree smash my bed as it fell through the house during a hurricane. And I'm like, well, I'm out of here. I'm never, <laughs> I'm never living here ever again. So I don't like living too close to the coast. Um, and thank God. Uh, it also floods too easily. It's too flat. And I don't like flat anyway. As a little, little kid, I grew up where it's mountains and hills. And I don't like living in the flat. So we live inland enough where we get a little bit of rolling hills and away from the uh, coastline and all these hurricanes, and 
the but we did get tons and tons of rain and just to the uh, college station ended up being uh, pretty okay we got a lot of tornadoes but they were real little and uh, you do they could kill you but you just kind of keep your eye on things and the uh, the area to the south and to the east of us which is Houston the greater Houston area which is massive fourth largest city in the United States just got dumped on and flooded like crazy. You know, my parents still live in the Houston area, and the water came up to within a few feet of their mailbox. <laughs> and um, just trying to stay in touch with them and make sure that they can get evacuated. I can't go help them. Everything's flooded. You can't get there. You'll die if you try. <coughs> and still today, this is um, a week later, there is constant helicopters flying overhead there's an army base to the northwest of us and a and houston's to the southeast just the army reserve it looks like it's just constantly flying black hawks and, and big big helicopters overhead uh taking people and and equipment back and forth to houston rescues i think they've they've rescued thousands and thousands and thousands of people out of high water if you haven't seen it in the news then you've been in a coma because it's been absolutely insane so I thought I would um, pass on some tips uh, for those of you that are watching all this and going, oh man, how, this, how can I ever not let this happen to me? Because I grew up in this kind of stuff, and then also in my career, I've worked in, uh, I'm actually FEMA, Federal Emergency Management Agency. I'm FEMA certified several levels in uh, flood and emergency response. I used to work in the mapping office to map out floodplain to certify whether people should or should not build their houses in it. And also I've manned um, many times uh, emergency operation centers to deal with. We had the gas, we had a fertilizer plant explode nearby and blowing fumes all over the place. Uh, Hurricane Ike, Hurricane Katrina, people evacuating out. I used to make maps and uh, of what shelters are available and all this stuff. So like, um, unfor um, um, it's unfortunate that I'm actually an expert in this stuff to sort of an expert. You never know. Things change and it's been a little while. It's been about five years since I worked in that kind of stuff up to my eyebrows, but this is what you can do. The next time, if you're not going to move now, the next time you move, well, first off, you should look to see if you're in a floodplain or not. And these floodplain maps are available online. You can look for, or you can go to your county or your city offices and ask to see a floodplain map of where you live and to see if you're in what they call the 100-year floodplain. Now, it's not going to flood every 100 years. It's a 100-year storm, which could happen. You could get two in a year. You could get one every five years. You know, it's just like a big storm. If it's going to flood where you live, and then you got to remember they're a little bit out of date, because FEMA can only, their government agency, and they only got funding to make them every once in a while. And if there's been a lot of development in your area, especially upstream from you, then that's going to increase how fast water runs off and then hits you and then backs up and then floods. So if, there, if somebody put the Walmart upstream and put in a giant parking lot or a mall or something like that or strip centers, then you're going to be more likely to flood. Uh, the water's going to raise faster. And... Then the other thing is you should keep in mind that just being out of that floodplain is not enough. What we had here in Houston was at least an 800-year storm, 
And with global warming becoming, uh, making weather, supposedly making weather more severe, you're going to see more of this, a lot more of this. And you should um, be well out of the way of the floodplain. And if, if, you're, um, if you're thinking about moving anytime soon, for whatever reason, not, not because of this, but you know, you're getting a job somewhere else, or you're going to move to a new house, or whatever, always, always, always look to have your house on high ground. And always, um, before, if you get big windstorms, you should trim your trees because the, the, um, the having branches on your trees, uh, extra branches that aren't totally necessary actually will pull your, the wind will actually pull your trees down and smash your house. You should have uh, battery powered radios. Um, your phone will work through a Ziploc bag. Uh, if you live in a hurricane or flood prone area, uh, you should consider getting a generator that you can either put some kind of gas in or something like that. My parents have one that they have one of those, and they also have because um, you're going to lose power for days, and possibly. And how are you going to keep your food refrigerated and all that stuff? My parents got one actually hooked up to the house <laughs> that when they p- turn it on, because this they've lived in Houston since '82 or something like that. So when they turn it on, um, it actually runs the electricity into the house and um, powers the refrigerator and the air conditioning and stuff like that. It only takes a couple of hurricanes in August to knock out power in Texas in the middle of the summer. And then it, uh, the heat index today here in College Station was 131 degrees. And so imagine that with no power and all this humidity, um, what that would be like. So you should uh, do that. Um, when a big storm's coming, you should get all the fresh water that you can and go upstairs with it. Um, if you're not worried about your house flooding, but you're worried about not having fresh water, they've got a big, they're having all these water problems with sewage um, in the water, oil in the water. You don't want to get in that water. Flood water is really nasty. It's almost always really dirty, really nasty. Um, you can catch all kinds of diseases from it, typhoid, uh, hepatitis, like all kinds of nasty stuff in there. Um, one thing that people, smart people do is they fill up a bathtub full of fresh water right before a storm, big nasty storms coming so that they have fresh water. And then you can do like jugs and stuff like that too. And, um, don't run stoves and camping stuff indoors or else you, you fume. it goes on and on. And then there's also a big risk of, um, of being electrocuted. Because all that flood water, you know, that carries electrical current, so you could get shocked to death uh, doing stuff. And yeah, and then remain calm and stay in touch with people, and have backup batteries for uh, your phones. So I just thought I'd I'd, um, I'd put that out there, and uh, I thought it was uh, really great that the I think it was the governor of Texas, I think it was him. There were so many people on TV talking about what to do. Um, this storm in Texas is uh, going to change the landscape of Houston and how people deal with things and also the economy of Houston because it flooded areas where a lot of people don't have flood insurance. We were talking about bike insurance earlier, but like the people don't have flood insurance and it ruined their homes. Now you're, you're ruined, financially ruined. And uh, what are they going to do? Um, and right from the beginning, in the middle of the storm, they're saying when – this is going to be a, this is going to be years of cleanup, and we're going to have to get used to a new normal. That was a very interesting turn of turn of phrase right there. Is a new normal got to settle in, and this is the way things are. The things that you didn't think could flood 
can definitely flood and you need to really uh, think about that and that's just this one little area so all everywhere we're going to um, have this problem and again we just moved from one house to another and knowing what knowing what I happen to know because of where I've worked um, I made sure our house was on a hill <laughs> with good drainage just by instinct because I've seen uh, people coming into the floodplain office and going hey I want to I wanted to build here, but it's underwater. And and our office going, yeah, you can't build there. It's a really bad idea. And they're like, well, what if I build up? <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, but you're going to be an island, and you're going to have sewage and running water all around you. It's going to be really nasty. I just wouldn't build there. Just don't, and, and please don't. And just because other people are building all around you and there's neighborhoods all around you does not mean that building there or living there is a good idea. You shouldn't do it. And uh, thoughts go out to everybody that's um, that's uh, dealing with this, and like my own family has uh, got major issues, you know, with all this right now because they live in this area, and uh, they live, you know, in Houston, and uh, we took a whole bunch of, uh, we bought a whole bunch of groceries and dog food actually, and cat food, and Emily knows that she works with elderly people a lot, and um, and and cancer patients. So she took a bunch of adult like diapers and, and foods and medicine and stuff and donated at what as well at campus at AM. Okay, so that's that. Alright, that's enough of the of the uh, lecturing and the down the downbeat stuff. Let's pick it up a little bit and get into the training log. I think the training log starts before the storm, before Hurricane hit. So you get to hear us as uh, we go through a little bit. All right, here we go. You are entering the Zentrite training log zone. Kuneli. Hi, everybody. My name is Brett. I'm a trash. I decided it's time I got some friends more suited to my status. But, Joe, we've been friends for years. Hey, we all make mistakes. Come on, dudes, let's go exercise! Exercise! Yeah! I'm gonna do sit-ups till I poop myself! All right, welcome to the training log. Tuesday, August 22nd. Very, very stoked. I had a really good run this morning. We're gonna do a little bit of adventures in uh, plantar fasciitis, healing your plantar fasciitis. And also, last night, I was uh, voluntold, gifted, with the burden opportunity. It was a wet, hot, cold, damp morning in the upstairs of my basement. Um, to be the uh, scoutmaster, the head dude in charge, HDIC, for Kai's Boy Scout Troop, which I actually, uh, which means the parents decided I was the best person for the job at the moment. And it comes from, uh, I was in a, a massive Boy Scout troop growing up that was very disciplined and we generated a lot of military officers and Navy SEALs of all things and pilots in the end because we were run by dads that were, a lot of them were ex-Vietnam and Korean war vets and it was a Boy Scout troop, this is going to blow your mind, that was 110, 120 130 sometimes scouts registered. We went to summer camp with 60, 70 boys. And 
it was massive and full uniform all the time, paramilitary to the nth degree. And so that was my upbringing. I did that eight years, became an Eagle Scout. Uh, also was a Cub Scout in Aerolight. And even a, an Indian Guides, Indian Guide, whatever, YMCA Indian Guides. I was a little, little teeny kid, a lot of fun. Uh, and so Boy Scouts to me has a lot. I was brought up with a, how to do it with lots of discipline and structure. And then the beauty of discipline, discipline equals freedom. When you have awesome skill sets, you can... Um, do so much more in life, you know. And then in the end, I end up becoming uh, an ultra endurance athlete because I like the fact that it tests your skills. And you're out on a five hour bike ride, and if you have a flat tire, you've got to fix that yourself. You know, it's really cool. It's all about being prepared, and the freedom that that brings is really neat. So that's an update where that is going to swallow up a little bit more of my time. I'm already an assistant scoutmaster, but you know, I can escape. <laughs> Because I'm not the head dude in charge. But now I'm becoming the head dude in charge for a while at least. I'll probably do it for a few years and then uh, switch it over to somebody else. But as somebody with uh, exercise addiction, which I proudly claim because it's the best kind of addiction. If you're going to have one, bad habit, let it be that. Um, I actually need to have um, time forced away from training or else I'll train and get overtrained. If you've ever been overtrained, that means you got the bug. And hold on, I'm gonna take a sip of coffee. But I just managed to spill on me. What the hell? Anyway. Uh, so, you know, once every month or two, not being able to work out on the weekend at all because I'm going camping uh, is actually pretty good for me. Monday nights. Uh, like last night, you know, no working out or anything. I'm already in shape. <laughs> you can only get so much better, but you can uh, definitely uh, get worse by doing too much. It's a good place to be, I guess, in the end. But anyway, here's an abandoned car. Uh, that was an uh, interesting experience being asked by one hell of a scoutmaster if I would take over for him. And then... Oh, and man, all the skills that I learned and my, my generation of Eagle Scouts knows that we get to pass on to boys, how to be leaders, how to stand up for yourself, how to stand up for others, how to do the right thing, how to be little superheroes and help people is really what Scouts is all about. And uh, being a, a leader in your little community or big community, whatever you end up, I think there's lots of statistics on the number of congressmen and astronauts and just amazing people that are Eagle Scouts. It's really crazy. But anyway, that's enough Scout stuff. The uh, My adventures in uh, plantar fasciitis, because I don't like talking about injury all that much, is uh, people go, dude, why do you keep running if you've got it? And actually, running makes it feel a little bit better. If I don't run at all, it gets no better every day. It's really weird. So running some gets blood flow to it and helps heal it. So the reason I keep running is I'm trying to figure out, you know, what's the pattern? Because humans are pattern machines. We're always trying to find the pattern. What's the pattern that makes it better? Because let's say I don't run for two, three months, and then it gets better. Um, as soon as I start running again, I'm going to do the thing 
that made it bad in the first place. So I need to figure out, well, what's causing it um, what, and what makes it slightly better and then uh, do the, do the um, thing that makes it better all the time and drop the habit of whatever makes it hurt, right? And I figured out something. I'm really, really, really excited. I um, noticed that running on the outside of my feet, I think I talked about it last episode, on the outside of my feet more, so not putting pressure on my arches, um, made it a whole lot better the next day when I woke up. I didn't have the, the actual arch pain. I was like, hmm. And then the next thing is, um, oh, so I've got, a, um, I've got some Adidas Boost shoes that are actually motion control. And I was explaining to my friend Brad about these um, shoes that don't let your arches roll in, right? So I ran in those, and then the next thing I know, my arches don't hurt the next morning. So basically, my arches have been collapsing a little bit, and the shoes I've been wearing either don't have enough arch support or the arch support's blown out over time because you can wear that out, you know? As your shoes get old, they start collapsing a little bit, like your body as you get old. Hold on, coffee break. Gotta get some coffee in. Oh man, pretty soon I need to talk about ashwagandha. It's a wonderful herb. It's, I put some in my coffee. I like it. Although it tastes like horse hair. Okay, then... Um, so I'm like, well, this is really interesting. So... Uh, and the whole this whole started... My plantar fasciitis started when I was training for an Ultraman. And I trained so much. That, and I started doing bike time trials at the same time. They said, no, my feet started hurting. So I'm training all the time, tired, really, really, really tired. Um, and I thought, well, that's a training advantage, right? You got to train tired so that you can go the distance. Well, it turns out, I guess my form was coming apart, my feet rolling in, shoes blown out, right? I'm like a homeless guy running all over town. And that um, led me to getting, uh, oh, but you can't stop because you've signed up for something, told everybody you're gonna do something, right? That's a perfect storm for uh, uh, getting injury, an overuse injury. And then the other thing is um, every morning I wake up, and a lot of times my plantar fasciitis is fine. There's no um, arch pain, but there's heel pain. And so I'm down to very rarely having any arch pain anyway, because I've kind of worked that out in the most place, in the most part. But a... Um, sharp heel pain when I wake up in the morning and then after throughout the day it kind of goes away or I mean immediately it goes away after walking around for a few minutes but the sharpness of the pain is alarming and it's a thing it's heel spurs which is actually a form of plantar fasciitis all this stuff your whole kinetic chain all these tendons and muscles are all connected and I also notice that my calves are super super tight um, a lot throughout the day and then also in the morning when I get up uh, my calves are super tight and pulling so what they're doing is they're pulling overnight on the tendon that runs under your heel and it's pulling the whole thing tight and uh, it's just not allowing it to heal right it's not allowing uh, I guess that tightness of that tendon being pulled against your your heel bone um, is, uh, is a problem and so the whole thing's just irritated you know so I was googling around as I do, 
and I found a thread on Slow Twitch from like 2012. And what I was doing was Googling um, uh, calf tightness and uh, heel pain, I think was a phrase. Slow Twitch, the, the true value of Slow Twitch is the geniuses that are so experienced that are on there. When you go into Slow Twitch, slow twitch you bow and admit you know nothing and then put your symptoms out there or your problem out there and just listen to the masters tell you what's up. Now some of the masters are assholes. And tired of your shit. And if you talk back to them, they will put you in your place eventually. But, uh, so just listen. Anyway, so there's this thread on there. And it seemed that, um, yes, they're connected. The calf tightness and the heel pain. And uh, plantar fasciitis, eventually it leads to plantar fasciitis. And I'm like, oh, cool. I'm reversing. I'm doing everything the reverse way. I'm, I've kind of cleared out the uh, plantar fasciitis the arch pain, but I'm still left with the thing, the fundamental problem uh, that leads to the arch pain is the uh, the pulling on the calf and the super calf tightness. And the consensus on there from many people was were um, stretch your calves like a madman all the freaking time. Stretch, stretch, stretch. Stretch them in the middle of running. Stretch them uh, before you run. Stretch them at night before you go to bed. Stretch them when you get up in the morning. Stretch them all throughout the day at work. And it was really weird because I was like, yeah, sitting a long time, driving. I'm not even running. And the um, I'm getting uh, heel pain the next morning. I'm like, how is this possible? Like, what's going on? I'm not even running and I'm getting worse heel pain the next day from sitting in my car all day driving. And yeah, the calf is just tightening and tightening and tightening up. It's like a downward spiral reaction. There's an actual term for that. An out of control reaction. And um, so the past few days, I have been doing the stretch where you lean against a wall kind of or anything, a post, a countertop, and put one leg up to your chest almost and the other leg way behind you and straighten out your leg. And uh, you know, you got your weight on your forefoot but try to put your heel on the ground and it just pulls on everything and just bounce. And I know some people are going to go, ah, oh, bounce, but I talked to an expert that actually wrote a book on stretching and a little bit of bounce is all right in this case. And so bounce, 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 stretch, 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 bounce, 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 light bouncing, light bouncing. And lo and behold, um, my running has picked up speed in the mornings. My uh, feet feel better. Um, way less uh, heel spur pain, and we are going to uh, see how it goes. So the whole point of my story is, it looks like uh, if you wake up in the morning and you've got tight calves, you're going to lead to plantar fasciitis if you don't do something. And one thing to do is stretch your calves a lot. It seems like it's it, you can't do too much of it, and it's good for you. And it cleans up your running form too because everything's looser, I've noticed. And, yeah, my running's picked up in speed. Um, uh, everything just feels like so good, so much better. So I'm going to keep doing that. And also, um, I keep gaining weight because I'm not uh, eating right. Not being able to run well, um, I think, leads to a little bit of funky depression symptoms. And so uh, just kind of reaching for whatever. Also, it's just habits. And um, no big races coming up. So, you know, kind of letting things slide. And so today was the first day I made a green smoothie in a long time. And I've learned from uh, getting cavities from green smoothies. I'm going to keep water 
next to me. If I drink any green smoothie, next thing I do is uh, water to get the acid out of your mouth. Um, but let's see, two big leaves of kale. I break the big part of the stems off and give them to the dogs. They love them. I figure it's good for them anyway. And then carrots, ground chia seeds. That way they're already cracked open a little bit and you get all the nutrition. And then um, same thing with flax seeds. But uh, a little bit of matcha powder, caffeine, a handful of mixed nuts, a little bit of orange juice to give it some sweet, uh, a little bit of coconut milk, give it a little bit of fat, not much though. And then I feel like I put something else in there that was pretty good. But anyway, that was the um, kale and carrots seems to be really smart. And then sweet to taste and just and then just add random crap after that. Anyway, that's it. Well, that was quite a training log update. All right, gotta go into W to the ERK, out, bang. All right, back to the training log. I'm leaving the pool after a nice little swim. 4,450 yards, nonstop. Had to pause for like three seconds to readjust my um, swim cap that was starting to slide off a little bit. And just that little tiny pause, you catch more air and then you can start swimming feeling uh, really completely refreshed again, which really goes to show you how much oxygen has to do with uh, swimming well. Working on keeping my form, keeping my body like a pencil and trying to stay flat in the water. Not arching your back, but keeping your back perfectly straight so that you can, you feel like the whole, the back of your head, the back of your shoulders, the middle of your back and your lower back and your butt are all flat with the surface of the water. If you arch your back, then you push your chest down and then the top of your chest faces the water, the oncoming water and creates a plow. So don't arch your back. Anyway, I've been listening before getting into the water and then after getting out of the water, listening to a really cool talk with a Zen master um, on Dave Asbury's uh, Bulletproof Coffee podcast, Bulletproof podcast, whatever he calls it. And I'm not a giant advocate of Dave Asbury and all that stuff, but every once in a while he has good guests. And I'm adjusting my mirror so I can see. I have my mirrors turned, one of my mirrors, my side view mirror turned so that when I drive to the pool in the morning, um, I don't get glare from somebody right behind me um, blasting into my eyes. It irritates me. I'm trying to relax and get to the pool without a lot of stress. But anyway, uh, this guy is a really famous, um, I can't remember his name, but uh, if you... Uh, if you worship somebody too much, then uh, the reason I can't remember his name is because you've worshipped somebody too much, then um, you've lost your Zen. Because Zen is right here, right now, not some idol worshiping. It's okay, but don't get too into it. <laughs> That's probably something Buddha would say. <laughs> That's great, uh, but don't get too into it and wash your bowl. But anyway, I. Uh, it was interesting. He's talking about the stages of enlightenment and. I think it's so cool because he said at first you have, um, you know, wow, it's possible to be enlightened. And then you kind of, you're like, you have like little glimpses of it kind of here and there of seeing the world bigger than you and, and being uh, happy with it. And then you reach a stage of, I would probably call it pseudo enlightenment. Um, you 
you get it, you're, you're happy, and you realize completely that having no ego um, opens up freedom. I think we were talking about that yesterday. Freedom, potential freedom, uh, discipline is freedom. The discipline of not having an ego um, allows you to do so many more things. I experience it all the time at work where people will ask me a question about how I want this or how I'm in charge of some stuff and how I want that. And I say, it doesn't bother me. We can do it how you want to do it. Let's experiment with how you want to do it. And they're just puzzled because usually somebody with ego would grasp that opportunity and try to put their um, stamp on it, you know. And But if you look at the bigger picture, then it's uh, great to have more cooperation, you know, blah, blah, blah. Work stuff. And... Uh, Oh, I just think of like this morning, some guy cut me off in traffic on the way to the pool. It's ego, you know. He perceived that I was trying to get in front of him. Anytime I had a moment, I went to, uh, I went to a Zen uh, monastery one time. Was it a monastery? Well, Zen church of sorts in Austin and sat in on a Zen session. And there was a Zen master uh, that was answering questions. And the people are in the audience. I'm sitting cross-legged and all that stuff. And the, um, the Zen master was taking questions from the audience. He gave a little talk about a storm that came through last night. Nature's always big in Zen. You talk about nature because that's very grounding. And because nature comes and goes and it does not care. And that helps uh, tie you back down and realize that not everything's about you because the world's bigger than you. So that's why there's so much nature stuff in Zen. And so this person was, uh, many people... After like third or fourth person asked a question, they're having some trouble with this and some trouble with that. What is what is the Zen master's uh, opinion on this and that? And it's really funny being in one of those churches because you've got the Zen master who is cloaked in dark robes, and it's you know a centuries-old tradition. And uh, it's got so much behind it. And then it's in Austin, so you got some hipsters in the audience that are just trying to be cool. <laughs> and this, this is so much bigger than being a hipster. You know, this is deep. And these people, Zen masters, are trained on how to think in the deepest imaginable way. Uh, they're philosophy and just deep thinking masters and problem solvers. And after the uh, third or fourth person said, um, I this, me that, I noticed that there was a trend because we're pattern, we're pattern monkeys. And everybody that was having a problem mentioned I this, me that, we, I, you, right? All these pronouns. But a lot of I and me and want. And so, if you know where I'm going with this, you can see it coming. Uh, so, I eventually raised my hand and I said, uh, Zen Master, whatever. Is it possible that most problems, or a lot of problems, arise whenever we find ourselves using the words I and me and want? <laughs> and if we 
stop. See, in Zen, you don't say try. There is no, it's like Yoda, there is no try. It's just do or do not. And so I said, if we stop doing that, then uh, that would be good <clears throat> or something like that. And he, he paused. I stunned him for a second. And he just sat there and he said, yes, I believe that would be true. <laughs> and I was like, cool, got it. Anyway, so the Zen master on uh, Dave Asbury's podcast said um, that you come to the stage where uh, you realize that, and you start you start to do it, you know, try to be egoless is, uh, is the key to enlightenment is the key to happiness. But then what's really interesting is he said, it's a false place. You're only on step two or three of the, and then the final step is, uh, so you go around trying to uh, teach everybody um, how to, how to be that way. And you're going to fix the world and everything like that. And then uh, what the problem is, is what you're still doing is you're thinking about you, the way you have no ego. I have no ego. Look at me. I have no ego. Me, I, me, I, 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 Brett, Bob, Rick, Sarah, Karen, Sally, Mary, I, I we have no ego, right? Well, guess what you're doing? You're still thinking about yourself and about how you have no ego. And it makes you feel like you're better than everybody else or above above the law. I'm above the law. Um, and that you hold some kind of higher ground. Just a little bit. But it's extremely powerful and it's intoxicating. And uh, he refers to it at one point about being drunk. Drunk on enlightenment. Drunk on, on no ego. So then finally... A lot, a lot of people get stuck there. But the way you transcend it is to, to, and this is the way I would phrase it, to realize that you being enlightened, I being enlightened, me being enlightened, doesn't matter. Just like the nature thing I told you about. Nature's bigger than you. Nature doesn't care if you're enlightened or not. So you have to move on. And there is a Zen saying that says, after enlightenment, wash your bowl, right? Because they're always eating out of a bowl. They're eating their rice out of a bowl. And that means get your enlightenment. That's great. But it's no big deal. And just move on and then just keep doing your stuff. Because thinking about how you're not, uh, thinking about how you're enlightened and have no ego, you're stuck there because there's, there's things to do. You've got to go uh, take your kid to soccer practice. You've got that meeting at work, right? But now you're, you're stuck all thinking about how you have no ego. And you're going to go fix everybody. Well, the world doesn't care. And that's because um, there's a big similarity in uh, Christianity and uh, Buddhism. They came about within a 500 years of each other, Buddhism was first, but they're very, very similar in that they're a democratization of religion and that the power is within you. Um, Old Testament was be scared of God. God uh, has wrath and uh, God loves you, but God will punish you um, if you mess up. And then uh, Jesus came along and said, hey, everything can be perfect. There's perfection and the twist on it was like it was within me, believe in me, and then um, you can go to heaven, which is a form of enlightenment, right? Um, just afterlife. And 
Um, but it's attainable. All you have to do is just one simple thing. Buddhism is very, very similar in that um, perfection is already there. You are possibly already, could be already perfect. You got to quit thinking about yourself so much, right? And that's that's the similarity between um, Christianity and Buddhism is uh, Christ, the, the true Christian belief is um, stop thinking about yourself, think about me, Jesus, right? To, to, so you stop thinking about yourself, right? It gives you like a talisman to hold on to. And Buddhism is, is uh, just stop thinking about yourself, uh, think about the washing your bowl. <laughs> I wonder, is the bowl like a, uh, the Jesus of, um, of uh, Christianity? But anyway, so it's a really interesting uh, look. Uh, the guy uh, got drunk on power, the Zen master, and had some infidelity, and then got caught and then busted, and then realized, and that's what uh, all that drama and trauma uh, is what made him realize that he was stuck, and he needed to get over himself and move on. And it's really cool, really cool interview. Anyway, I got a green smoothie today. I've got kale. Now we've talked about enlightenment. Let's go on and uh, wash our bowl. Got kale, uh, carrots, a little bit of orange juice, a little bit of coconut milk, peanuts, flaxseed, chia seed, and I drank a liter of it yesterday and lost two pounds and felt good. So we're going to do it again today and see what happens. Out, bang. Okay, I'm here with the family at dinner, and they want to talk about the uh, the making what a smoothie. Issue, the issue. Making the <laughs> making the smoothie in the morning at 5:30 a.m. It was not. No, it was not 5:30. It was 5:30 when 530. I made it. So <laughs> I waited. I made all the stuff, and I put it in the blender and waited a long until the very last minute. I was about to go out the door, and then that's when I hit go on the Vitamix 52,000. <laughs> And um, then it went. So, so the conversation wait, wait. started. And then I turn. I, said, I feel. I feel this shadow of hate over my right shoulder, and right. I turn and, and look, and there you are in your pajamas, I think. Yeah, because it's, staring, it's five in the morning. Staring at me, and you go, "What are you doing?" And I go, "Go away! It's going to take longer if you just stand there. I'm almost done." And then, but I don't know how you came out of the bedroom that fast. Okay, so so the conversation that? started because I said, "Kai, what time did you? At what point did you move into your bedroom?" And Kai said, "When Dad turned on the Vitamix this morning." Like, yeah, I did. did not sound like. Um, what'd you say? What'd you a say? A Viking. Then? What did you say then? <laughs> what'd you say? <laughs> a Viking. So anyway, Kai said he moved when Dad turned the blender on. I was like, and then the, the discussion no, continued. He said I moved when I started making the, all the noise. Yeah, all the noise is what you said. And then he said, and, "I'm a cabinet slammer." Yeah, and yeah. so what's that sound like? Oh God. Here we go. He's going across. The, he's way over there. Let's see how loud it actually is. That's what it sounds like to us. Slam the doors. Pop some silverware down. That's yeah. Now open and close the coffee pot. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. So you have your headphones in. You can't hear how loud you are. Because I'm listening to podcast. I'm learning on becoming so a better person. The minute you have like 20 alarms, they go off at different times. And when you finally turn off, Jaron had an alarm go off. I had to turn it off. Okay. And then I but, was out lubing his bicycle okay. chain at so, five in the morning because y'all asked me to. Out, so, yeah, you said you're gonna do it last night. So starting out, That's you different. have like 50 alarms that go off, and then you finally get up 
And then there's lots of commotion with you coming out here, the dog's jumping off the bed, you close the door, and it, like, anytime anybody does anything. And then Zoe comes and licks my feet. Yeah. And so, anyway, and then I can hear, a, it's like a par- parade of I can tell when you're getting cereal because the opening and closing of the cabinets, the silverware drawer, the coffee pot, you know, ev- everything. Putting the coffee pot down, opening the pantry door, oh, closing the, the pantry microwave. door, mi- microwave. I mean, there's everything. Microwave. Whatever. I don't know hey, what you're doing. Why aren't you up exercising? Because oh, I wasn't getting up roasty. today. I got up the day before and did that, but I didn't make that much noise. We had my mom here last night. We had Jaren here last night. You know, Kyle was home for the first. It seems night. like you just get up early to exercise your frowning muscle. At, so anyway, at me, the point was being awesome. There was no reason for you to turn on that Vitamix at that time, and so I suggested. How again, else was I supposed to make it? Make it the night before, and you put it in the fridge, and you do not disturb people in the morning like that. You're already loud enough. It's hard enough to, to sleep when you get up at 4 o'clock or whatever you get up, as it is. We'll see. Uh-huh. But it loses all of its oxygen so content. Work, whatever, I'm going to sleep at night, Dad. At work today, people were like, I told the story, mm-hmm. and they were like, seriously? And They lost what all did you I did that for you? years. I know. Yeah. And what I said was... You used to get little cavities on your teeth because of sipping on green smoothies. Yeah, but now I do and it, so, and then I drink water right afterwards. But, and then you stop for a long time, and I was like, "Yes, he's not doing the the four thirty in the morning smoothie anymore." And then today, you get up and did it, and I was like, "Are you serious?" No. So yeah. you can be kind and rewind it tonight and have it in the fridge and shake it up in the little bottles you have little balls for that you can, you know, keep A it. little balls? <laughs> Whatever you want to say. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to hear that Vitamix morning. You can plug it in. No, tomorrow I'm not leaving until right before regular work hour, so that's okay. If everyone is awake and up and moving around, yes. But what if not- Kai's alarm clock is a Vitamix and then he's going to become a superhuman because of that? Isn't that good parenting? I'm super... Think how cranky Natural. you get when you're trying to take a nap at some odd hour. That I just put in headphones. Awake. Yeah, but just because you have in headphones doesn't mean that everybody else in the house will be disturbed. That's the story. You don't hear him saying? I'll, I'll take it under advisement, but mm. I'm they, not going to let are. y'all's well-being get in way, the they, way of my health. Think hard <laughs> about what you're doing. Think hard. Oh boy. Since we haven't seen each other in forever... What a run, little breakthrough run. Gonna describe what I did. Let's see, let me hit save on my watch here. And it'll give me a little summary. So, overcoming plantar fasciitis. Figured out, probably talked about it earlier. More stretching, stretching the calves. Well, last run and this run, I started stretching the calves. Like I said, like knee to the chest, other foot way behind you, pushing up against the wall like palms against a wall kind of thing. Oh yeah, averaged a 9.04, and it's a little bit hilly, so if that was flat, maybe under a sub nine. 6.62 miles, 494 calories. No, 694 calories. I burn about 100 calories a mile, and it doesn't matter how fast you run, you still burn the same amount of calories per mile. Typically, that's what the scientists say. Anyway, oh, I've got ants on my neck. Had a huge storm last night, really crazy. 
little bit scary. And so what I've noticed is over the past two runs that my first mile is way faster because you're spending the first mile um, loosening up. So if you go ahead and loosen up by doing that stretch and then also I grab the uh, top of my shoe and my hand and then pull my foot up behind my butt and that stretches out your quad. I do that a couple times and then do that calf stretch which stretches out the back of your leg, your hamstrings, your butt and your hips. Whoa! You know I've kind of I've gotten out of the habit of doing that years ago and just you know was using the first mile to kind of warm up. Well if you've already all if you're already all stretched out your first mile warming up will be a lot faster and if you're the time crunched triathlete like we all are because we're doing three sports wouldn't you rather spend your first 10 minutes 20 minutes of your workout that you've had to carve time out of your day out of your family wouldn't you rather spend that time um, training yourself at a faster speed so that you're um, yeah you're practicing that faster rpm and cadence and go ahead and get up to where you're going to be it's kind of like a uh, time warp it's a time machine a little bit of stretching i do the same thing with uh swimming never really got out of the habit of doing that um swing the arms around kind of do the phelps thing swim your arms back over your head reach to the top way up high over the lockers and then your arms straight out and then press your chest down so it's stretching out your lat straightening out your arm back over your head things like that and then yeah you everything what i noticed on the run was I felt like starting off, I felt like I'd already been running 10 minutes, <laughs> you know, like all loose. And I think if every time you start off running and you're all tight, that's probably what's been injuring me is everything pulling, you know, and the it's pulling all the way up your legs. So the last thing to give is your feet, your plantar fasciitis. Oh man, I'm super, super stoked. I'm gonna keep, I need to remember to do that forever. It's a huge difference. So a big thing with uh, success and implementing a new habit is to tie it to something that you care about. And I can tie uh, that stretch, doing that stretch with, um, uh, you get a higher average speed for your run. And then you don't have to struggle I also notice like a lot of times when I first start off running, I get a little bit of a low blood sugar. You know, you're tired, you're like, uh, and I didn't get that today. And I think that's uh, really nice to get in there and get moving. Hold on, we're going to go in the backyard. All right, going in the back gate. Going past the cool equipment uh, here. I may grab one of my uh, non-alcoholic beers to cool off with. Gotta go to work. Got some carbs in the beer. Oh, my watch is beeping at me. Let's crack open a beer and hop in the pool. Be a cool sound. Oh, there's the dogs. Hello? Hello? Gotta make sure Emily went for a run. Gotta make sure she got back. Why is the dog food container wide open? Hello? All right, did you have a good run? Okay. I'm recording right now, so don't divulge any of your top secret training details you don't want the competition to know about. Uh-uh. Doing what? Was it an old beat-up Cadillac or a nice new one? Maybe they thought they knew you. <laughs> so you had a creeper? You know you can always call me. I got my phone on me. 
Take a sip. All right, let's head back out to the pool. Hop in and let the legs soak. We'll talk. Oh, we got fountains on our pool. Okay. Oh, what was I gonna talk about? Oh, um, starting off running, I like listening to some talk stuff to kind of get me motivated to go. You know, kind of wake me up, make me feel like I'm part of society still. And I'm kicking off my shoes, taking off my running belt. I'm wearing my work socks from yesterday. <laughs> gonna take off part of my heart rate strap. The brain's part. You wanna rinse all this stuff off so that uh, you don't get uh, salt just destroying your clothing from your run. All right, I'm about to hop in, here we go. Setting the phone down. Hey, don't bark. Neighbor's gone. Oh, that feels so good. Oh, donkey. What's up, Zoe? How are you doing? Oh, the water level went up with the rain last night. Okay, let me see. Let's set my phone down right there and we can talk. Hey, okay, I got, I see you, babe. Quit looking at my face. Mm. So I was listening to the Art of Charm podcast and there's a interview with a older Navy SEAL. Sounds like he's probably about 60, 50 something. And, um, it's really cool. 14 minutes in, just a little bit after 14 minutes in, Art of Charm podcast, Navy SEAL guy, probably came out um, August 23rd or August 24th. He's talking about how levels of improvement of yourself at some level, uh, <laughs> this Navy SEAL went off and studied Zen. How about that? At a monastery in uh, upstate New York or something like that. So that was really cool. And uh, last night we watched um, videos with uh, Lionel Sanders' blog. Has a uh, just go Lionel Sanders' blog on the Google, and you'll find um, he posted a video of his training lately. Um, it's really cool. It starts off with him on a couch, and it's a YouTube video. But then it shows him in the endless pool, and then uh, it was what I was talking about last episode on the trainer and on the run. And he's at the very end, he said he quit doing big, massive days that just exhausted him and started doing more focused training. And sometimes I think that actually it's a mistake to say, you know, not to ever, that that, that was a mistake. Like the, the big, super duper training days log. I kind of think that it's the dark night of the soul that you kind of got to go through. And that improves your, it's not a loss. Because what I'm saying is it improves your, your tolerance to training. And then when you go, after a few years of being stupid like that and just going massive, then when you go back to doing shorter stuff, you know you've got a ceiling for more and you've been there. You know what I mean? You've been to the, the, the other side of the fence and seen the grass. Because if you don't ever do that, then you don't ever know. And also it stretches your abilities so that when you're doing the short stuff, uh, you're still not as tired. You can go harder because you're you're still not as tired as you were when you were um, going big, and um, that allows you to go hard and shorter, hard, harder while going shorter because you know what your actual potential is, and knowing that allows you to do more. That you could always do more allows you to be happy with what you're doing less and just doing it harder. It's like dreaming about going to New York City. You think it's one thing. Well, you're better off going and then, and then coming back and then you're happier, but not actually staying there. <laughs> right? 
then you can appreciate uh, and use better what you got. Anyway, um, I had Kai sitting next to me, and we actually uh, watched that Lionel Sanders thing and a um, couple short documentaries on Jan Ferdino and Alistair Brownlee. And Kai was watching it with us. And I think it's uh, good for him to have a visual of what real um, athletics is like and what real training looks like. Because so many kids today, you know, you can go and buy all these shirts and everything that say, I'm awesome, take it to the max, to the limit. And they think that they're pushing themselves, but they're not. They're just wearing a shirt that says that they're pushing themselves. Oh, man. And uh, to see what it actually looks like. Um, with their heroes, then when you get up in the morning, you kind of want to be like that hero. Well, now you, you've seen what they do to be like that hero. And that helps. Helps a lot. Um, I think that's it. I'm going to go in and make my uh, green smoothie for the day. I'm going to add some um, brain octane oil, which is like MCT oil and some other kind of oils in it to kind of add some fat. I was listening to the Fat Black podcast, which is really nice. The one where it's just him and his wife. They're in Whistler, but um, they're originally from Australia. Whistler should be known as Little Australia anyway. And they, um, they're talking about how going full keto is stupid for triathletes and that it's something to play around with, but just low carb and uh, lower carb, higher fat. My thing is, uh, first step, step one is quit being afraid of fat. That's where you should start. And that is a massive change in itself and it might be all that you need is just quit being afraid of fat. Quit trying to do low fat. And uh, when you got fat on your plate, don't worry about it. Just eat it. It's all right. Okay? That's it. I'll be back in a little bit. Out, Bing. All right. Leaving the pool. Zentron Mobile Studios. That hurricane is on its way. Hurricane Harvey. Supposed to arrive tonight. I work with somebody who moved here from Dallas, and they said, oh, it's going to be some rain. Did I already talk about this? Uh... No, not just some rain. <laughs> when I was a kid, Hurricane Alicia hit Houston and sent a 180-year-old oak tree through our house and hit my bed, even though I was uh, not there. Um, I was off at YMCA camp, which was terrifying in itself in the middle of the night, that storm coming through. Anyway, I got uh, a really cool swim tip for you. So I was doing my, um, I was doing my timer looking for uh, what makes me faster and I discovered something uh, really cool is a lot of times, you know, I just kind of get in the zone and I swim with my eyes closed. Uh, often, you know, I peek every once in a while, just kind of look around, where am I? Make sure I don't slam into the wall, but then I close my eyes again. And I've noticed something that if I keep my eyes open, uh, I swim pretty straight and all that stuff. I'm not, that's not the problem. But if I keep my eyes open, I... Um, I'm able to perceive better if I'm bouncing in the water. So you can kind of not just wiggle up and down, but you can wiggle, or you're not just wiggle side to side, but you can wiggle up and down. I'm behind somebody going so incredibly slow. What is your problem? Holy cow. Oh my gosh. Anyway, okay, it didn't make any difference anyway. And usually it doesn't. The, uh, if I keep my eyes open, more than because of the black line in the middle of the pool, I can um, perceive if I'm if I'm bouncing 
up and down a little bit, just a little bit. You know, all it takes is like a centimeter or an inch of bouncing up and down. But every stroke, you know, you're taking 15 to 20 strokes per lap, and that's a little bounce each time, boom, 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 just tiny. And if you, uh, that adds up to a second or two, maybe half a second, and uh, per, uh, per length, somebody does length and laps, length and laps. But suffering, the uh, if you keep from bouncing, then that energy instead of going up and down goes forward, and I could actually feel it just a little bit. And so I uh, would it made a difference between beating the beep and being stuck on the beep. And then the other thing, hold on, I need to adjust my mirror. There you are, people, and. Then the other thing is, um, remember I've said, don't think too much about what not to do, of course. Uh, Don't rule that out entirely, but think about what to do instead. On the pull, elbows out wide, kind of like you're trying to bear hug a big barrel, and thumb joint about where your nipples are as far as how far you cross your chest. And then... Uh, down in the water, maybe a foot or two, your hands, and not not straight down, um, and boom, a little bit faster. So it feels like you're, if you were a bear, you're um, putting your thumbs kind of almost where your nipples are, and then elbows out to the side like wings, like a chicken, but as far out to the side as possible. And then, but leaning over the car like you're uh, the opposite of arching your back. You're curving your, you're arching your chest over, like you're leaning over a barrel or a car to get something on the other side. And also, uh, that's the body position that gets your head down just a little bit, not too much. And um, it gets your arms in the most efficient position. It's a very powerful position. And then also, um, don't kick too much. Try not to kick, just don't. Try not to kick so much, and um, that conserves oxygen, and then that oxygen allows you to breathe better, and then you're able to go faster. All right, on top of that, we have a little bit of success on the home front. I got Kai to get on the trainer last night and bike. I came home from work, and he was uh, sort of lifting weights. He doesn't know how to lift weights yet, but he was like, hey, Dad, okay, if I want to make this muscle bigger, what is this muscle? And I go, that's your deltoid. He goes, if I want to make that bigger, um, what do I do? And I said, oh, put, and he had some hand weights, uh, some uh, dumbbells. And I said, okay, um, lift your elbow out to the side and take your dumbbell with it. You can bend your arms, but kind of like a chicken flapping its wing. And, And he's like, oh, I feel it. And I said, yeah. And then he goes, what's this muscle? What muscle was it? Um, I can't remember, but I said, uh, Another one was the uh, tricep. I said, you want to work the tricep, which is good for swimming. Bend over and then uh, hold the dumbbell in your hand and then extend your arm behind you. But keep your elbow up above your hip and extend uh, your arm behind you. And that'll work that muscle exclusively. And put your hand or your knee down on a chair or bench in front of you. And some kind of crazy Texans football fan in front of me with all of his flags mounted on his car. And he's like, oh. And I said, 
everything that you want to do. I used to do almost bodybuilding, right? And uh, I said, any muscle you want to make bigger, there's a specific exercise to make it bigger. And you just do it every day, every other day with dumbbells or weights, some kind of weights. And it will get bigger, especially at your age. Uh, you're growing, so it'll. that's where the growth will go most. And he liked that. And I said, you want to get really ripped? Because he wants to get abs. He doesn't have abs. <laughs> and I said, you want to get really ripped? And do that 100 push-ups a day. So I helped him make a spreadsheet of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday across the top. You know, but two weeks worth. And then... Um, Push-ups, pull-ups, he calls them curl-ups, sit-ups, um, and then SBR, swim, bike, run, along the left side, going down, and you know, so and then draw lines. So you got check boxes. So I said, do your, uh, try to do. Don't you have to do a hundred now? <laughs> can you imagine? But do um, do as many as you can today, and then uh, for the push-ups, pull-ups, and curl-ups sit-ups and um, then over the do as many as you can in one day and then the next day you'll be able to do a little bit more and the next day you'll be able to do a little bit more da, 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 and watch the spreadsheet fill in it's really 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 cool and then for swim bike run you can either put a check or put in the mileage or yardage that you did or the time whatever and all different kinds of things work for different people as far as motivation to uh, work out and get healthy. One is seeing a spreadsheet grow, right? You don't need to show other people. Um, one thing that works for me, I found out immediately, is tweeting what I've done, right? That makes me, while I'm working out, I'm thinking, oh, cool, I get to tweet what I did, right? And now that's uh, narcissistic and self-indulgent, sorta, um, but I've realized nothing else seems to work for me <laughs> to get me to work out like that does. And so I'm, I just like, you know, some people don't like seeing uh, workouts posted from people. Um, but in the long run, I don't care what other people think. You think I care what other people think, but I only partially care what other people think. What I really care about is getting my workouts done. And I don't care if other people think that, um, I'm annoying for posting my workouts. It's, see, that means I really don't care what other people think <laughs> because I'm going to post it anyway, even though you think it's, uh, annoying, I'm still going to post it because, um, to me posting it publicly, uh, gets me to do it. And in the long run, it's my body I have to live with and, uh, my health and my fitness and my medical bills if I don't, uh, stay in shape. So now I'm 44 now, and I've been at the age for a few years where I've seen uh, people, my my uh, compatriots, I don't know what you would call it, my peers, that's a good word, are falling apart with health issues. And uh, I still managed to remain um, really, really healthy and fit. I went in for some nerve testing to see if I have some nerve condition that my mom has because uh, it's um, hereditary, and it turns out I don't have it. But <clears throat> that's really cool stuff. I went in for gene testing for that, and also to see if I have the, um, at a different time, I went in uh, 
see if I have the gene for colon cancer because a lot, I think I have three relatives on one side of my family that all um, had uh, colon cancer. And I don't have the gene, which is really cool. So uh, anyway, I was in for this testing, this nerve testing. And it's kind of strength testing a little bit, but it's, it's really nerve testing. But your nerves power your muscles, so in a weird way, it's kind of like that. But anyway, it's coordination testing. And the doctor was very, very surprised at how I was scoring on the test. And that I was... Um, the way you have to walk with putting your feet right in front of each other and you have to do this and you have to do that, you know, it's almost like a drunk test. And I scored as high as somebody that's in their 20s, I think, on it. And uh, Emily and I were talking about it and it is a hundred percent because uh, we do triathlon. This is you too. If you're doing triathlons, because the muscle eye coordination of having to ride your bike, right, keeps you on cue of running and not falling down keeps you on cue and keeps you very coordinated and then with swimming always thinking about where you're placing your hands how you're doing it you know the perception and the feel is uh, and your balance while running and biking is um, is really 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 important I can all say I think skateboarding and surfing and snowboarding growing up uh, really contributes to balance awareness but Riding a bike with no hands, learning to ride a bike with no hands um, will really improve your balance. So anyway, everybody out there, keep doing triathlon because it makes you, um, it makes your nervous system fire better as you get older. The more, it makes you use it more, which keeps it on top and like you're younger. But anyway, I was uh, working with Kai on all this muscle stuff and then um, he was supposed to go to triathlon practice last night but it was going to rain and then Emily and I uh, were all caught up in doing stuff so I didn't have time to take him in t- and get him there in time I was got to drive all the way across town and so I said uh, okay Kai you're going to bike with me on the trainer and instead of putting up a huge fight he goes okay I was like oh alright and um, the thing with kids is they're going to say no this is parenting uh, 101. Uh, a lot of you that know this are going to nod your head. Kids are going to say no. They don't want to do something. until, And you have to make them do it. And then after a few times when they get good at it, then they want to do it, right? But no kid wants to do anything um, when you first suggest it. They want to watch TV or talk to their friends or message each other or whatever, Snapchat crap. But... Uh, so you have to make them do it. The, now, the tricky part is making them do it in a way where they don't hate it. So you have to make them do it, but you have to make them do it um, in a way that they where it's entertaining. right? You, you have to put your foot down and say, we are going to do this. But you also have to say, okay, while we're doing this, and then, then make it so they're surprised about how fun it is. So I got Kai on the trainer next to me, and I rode Zwift. And he rode watching, um, and I, I had to set it up. Uh, Emily and I had to set it up and get it all ready for him. So he actually liked it, um, or else he's not going to know, you know. And so uh, he watched on Netflix. That's why I said, you can watch, you want to watch some YouTube videos? And he's like, no, another stupid YouTube video. And I go, okay, um, no, movie, dude. 
that's what I said first. I'm going to watch a movie. And he's like, no, 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 stupid YouTube video. And I go, no, a movie like Netflix. And he goes, I can watch Netflix? And he saw his eyes light up. And I go, yes, man, you can watch Netflix on the iPad in front of you. And so Emily helped him get set up with the iPad while I was getting the bikes together and getting, made him a little bottle of fuel. And I had him drink. I made like a Gatorade maltodextrin mix that was real light, but I had him drink a little bit of it before we got going. That way he felt good and had some energy right into it. And I said, I want you to drink a third of this bottle before you get going. <laughs> it's like a hundred calories, if that. And uh, he said, uh, oh, so he... He wanted to watch Waterboy. As soon as he's on the... Tr- oh, he goes, can I start now? And that's a good sign. That's such a good sign. And I said, yes. Go ahead, dude. And as he's warming up on the bike, I mean, like, you know, just pedaling, just getting the bike going before he's even started his watch, he starts laughing at the uh, Waterboy scene where uh, they're practicing football. And it's an Adam Sandler movie. And he's laughing. And I said, okay, um... He's got headphones in. And I said, all right, do this every once in a while. Put it in a bigger gear and pretend like you're climbing that hill that's around the corner from us. And that's all you got to do. Just like once every, whenever you want. But just do it a few times, you know. And he biked for 45 minutes. And I said, also, sip on that bottle once every five minutes. And he rode 45 minutes, was laughing the entire time, liked it. I shot a video of us together and put it on Instagram, Zen Triathlon on Instagram, and um, afterwards, I went in the living room because I wrote an hour. And I went in the living room and I go, so how was it? And he goes, good. And I go, you like it? And he goes, yeah, that was good. I go, man, I'm so excited you did that with me. That's so much fun. And he goes, yeah, that was it. All right. I'm at uh, W to the ERK. And let's go in and see what we can break today. All right, just finished an evening run. Really hauling ass. Had Kai run with me. Um, it's the night of the Hurricane Harvey landing. We're up in College Station about two and a half hours from the coast. And it um, it's blowing about 20 miles an hour right now. Rain off and on earlier today. But at the coastline, it's 140-something miles an hour eventually. And they're telling people to... Um, if you didn't evacuate <laughs> with a permanent marker, write your name and social security on your forearm so they can identify your body just in case. There's a car going by me. But I got home from work, had dinner real quick, let it settle, and then uh, made Kai go run with me, which actually he wanted to because he got some new running shoes for cross country. And uh, I run three loops around this thing. So about 2.2 miles and he ran with me and I was messing with him, and I got him to stop twice, either laughing or getting angry at me. I was like, man, you really want to run in those shoes? He's like, Dad. I go, man, don't let people mess with you. Come on, you got to have a tough mind. And then uh, making him laugh one time where he couldn't run anymore because he was laughing so hard. And, but anyway, he ended up, uh, let's see what um, my speed. I did the stretching thing, and I surprised him. My run's gotten so much faster back to where I used to be. Almost. Ooh, 8.59 pace, average. Um, I was running a 10 at first, and then a 9.5, and then an 8, so probably a low 8 towards the end. 8.58 average, 
for 6.6 or 6.7 miles. And uh, so Kai, Kai does this thing where at the very end, if he sees he's, you gotta let him stay with you. You gotta go, and then at the end, he'll pull ahead and then beat me, which he did. And so he went into the house and uh, I kept on running and did my more stuff. But he's got cross country starting up next week, so he's getting all excited. But that was an awesome run with him. And I'm super amped. I'm gonna go inside and tell him how, uh, how excited I am for him. And uh, I was running, focusing on breath. He, he's got a Garmin and he was like, I'm running a nine something up pace and then a nine something up pace and then a low nine something pace. And I go, dude, don't focus on your pace numbers too much because on a day when you need to go slow, you're gonna be so used to focusing on your pace numbers, you're gonna make you go harder than you need to. Just focus on your breath and your feeling at first. And then uh, worry about pace later. Pace is a result, not a target at first. Eventually it can be, but we're not right now. <sighs> okay, let's uh, go inside. I'm gonna have a real beer on Alaskan IPA and go see what's going on with the weather. Let's see. Hello? Hello. Where's Kai? What's the latest with the storm? Any, uh, it's dark outside. Dude, you beat me. Oh, not, I'm recording. You're actually just not shocked, like, you weren't trying your ass off. <laughs> Dude, you weren't even looking back. You had your head down and was running. I ran as fast as I could. If I had another, I probably had another gear, but I didn't want to touch it. I thought I might have a heart attack if I run that fast right now. It was hurting my feet to pick up that pace. You were doing good, dude. That was fast. How fast do you think you were going? Well, we can look. At the end? This. Yeah. We can look at mine, because you were running just a tad bit faster than I was. I couldn't keep up. You look pretty awesome. <laughs> All right, cool. That was fun, man. We got to do that a lot more. I liked it. Huh? Oh, is that Jim Cantori or is that that other guy? So there's a guy on the seawall on the bay uh, in Corpus Christi. Looks like the eye wall is just, the eye just made landfall. I'm trying to figure out where Corpus Christi is and all that. Oh, wow. So I'm trying to figure out where. The worst part is east of Corpus Christi, like Aransas and Port O'Connor, because that's going to be pushing the um, water. Is there a car going by? Anyway, um, what's crazy is the Texas coastline is so big that down near Padre, it actually looked kind of nice earlier today. So it's Cat 4, Category 4 right now, with winds at 130 mile per hour. Let's see, pressure 941 millibars, moving, it's moving northwest at 8 miles per hour. That's really slow. It just now started raining, just a tiny bit outside, after all that. Look at just south of us, look at that, that eye spinning down to the bottom right. Look how heavy that rain is just south of us. Well, right at the edge of all the rain, we're like one mile north of that <laughs> right now. Pretty soon it's gonna be on us. All right, I'm gonna turn off the recorder and get a beer. Yeah, it looks like it's clear down by Padre. Yeah, there's another one. Boy, just missed Padre. Look at that, Padre Island. Oh, they're gonna have epic surf down there because the wind's blowing offshore, but waves generated from the hurricane are coming from it head south at an angle. Oh, wow, that's awesome. Except the rip current would be really bad. All right, out, man. All right, in the Zentri Mobile Studios on the way to W to the ERK. I did record earlier while I was running, but it looks like it didn't take. I was running and the uh, temperature has dropped big time because of the, uh, 
the hurricane eye is off to the east of us and they spin counterclockwise and that means that it's pulling uh, atmosphere atmosphere it's pulling weather down from the the north of us which is cooler and so it's about 10 degrees cooler it's a little bit drier it's not raining anymore but the streets are still wet around the curbs and the grass is still wet everything's absolutely soaked I heard somewhere it was an 800 year storm and chopped up uh, about half of a small tree yesterday and was working on that. Hopped in the pool uh, to see how cold it was and it was cold because of all the rainwater. And I was teaching Kai how to um, chop up stuff for, um, for someday when he's got to do it himself and used a saw and a machete for a while. That was a lot of fun. Uh, my parents live in in, um, gotta watch the cross traffic here. My parents live in Northeast Houston and we're keeping an eye on the, the river flood level because of, um, if you live downstream, then you can get flooding from upstream and it's still raining a ton upstream from them. And it can be a sunny day and the flood water just keeps rising and rising and rising because of the, uh, the flooding upstream. All right, gonna take a coffee sip. And I was super excited running this morning because I was running what felt like an easy, casual pace and averaged a 9.22 on gentle rolling terrain. And that is a 9.22 minute mile for six and a half miles. So that includes the first mile, which was almost a 10 minute mile, you know, which means I'm running a low nine once I warm up a little bit. And What's interesting about that is it, um, psychologically, it takes the load off of me um, of worrying. You know, with my plantar fasciitis healing up, will I ever be fast again? Will I ever be able to run again? And if I'm running, you know, under a 10 minute mile, just jogging easy and my feet aren't bothering me. Now my feet were bothering me a little bit this morning. I got some details on that a little lesson on that and but my feet in general technically technically weren't bothering me then that means I'm there I am uh, I'm over the hump and I can just jog easy whenever I want and uh, I've gotten my form back and things feel good and I can just uh, do whatever now uh, my feet actually did hurt the a little bit and what was going on was I was running in the rain I was doing some hurricane running <laughs> for the excitement of it actually more than anything and it was very exciting and I um, it's always something it's always equipment and always how you're doing something and I was running with an uh, old shoes that I didn't mind getting wet well guess what dodging water in the dark um, had me Oh, and then avoid, I started getting a blister on the inside of my foot, which I considered good training, right? Towards the very end, I was starting to get a blister and I'm like, run through it, run through it, be tough, man. Doing ultra marathon trail running, you gotta be tough. And I wanna get back to that. And I'm on my way back, I'm super excited. But uh, what do you, you know, you gotta keep going, keep going, don't stop. And, but the thing is, is overcoming that injury. I got the injury from bad form and running weird from being, I think running just too tired and running too low carb, running too uh, high fat, low carb, 
and so just running just collapsed training for the Ultraman thing and the um, uh, so when I woke up that was two days ago when I woke up yesterday morning my feet kind of hurt a little bit and I was like but what was cool is my heels didn't hurt I was actually my plantar fasciitis was acting up a little bit and I was like huh that's interesting I wonder why that is and, and then today I kind of put it together I was like oh because I got back in my better running shoes and they have a structure to them and I felt uh, fine and I was like hmm and my feet started to bother me a little bit while I was running but again just uh, feeling casual so the the cool thing there is um, there's hope for those of you out there that um, just oh yeah this is really cool a friend and I were talking uh, was it last week before the hurricane hit? And he's a real fitness buff guy. And he, he said that he'd heard somewhere that every every human technically ought to be able to run an eight minute mile. If you eat healthy and get your weight down to a normal weight, that the human body structure is uh, a zone two easy running is an eight minute mile. <laughs> you know? And I was like, you know, that's actually probably, that's probably about right. You get your genetic freaks that can run six, seven minute miles for long periods of time. But an eight minute mile is uh, if you had everything um, put together nicely, then uh, yeah, I could see an eight minute mile. Oh, there's a big, there's a lake with a big dam next to it, uh, of course. And it's all eroded, like it almost caved in. Holy cow, look at that. And... So all you gotta do is just go out and jog and then mix in, in your running route, mix in some uh, little hills and those hills will push you to be a little bit better and you will eventually get faster and faster and faster because that little bit, that difficulty of the little bit of hills uh, pushes you to get better. And technically you should be able to get down to an eight minute mile. Now what's really cool is, because Towards the end of my run, after I was all warmed up, I think I was running an 8.30, and I'm about 10 pounds overweight, maybe 15 pounds overweight, and I think it's 30 seconds per mile for every 10 pounds you are overweight is the theory on uh, how much weight slows you down. So yeah, it actually uh, seems to all add up. But the key is um, patience, being patient, being cool, being chill, and uh, lots of volume. So one other thing that is uh, very interesting that I had a, a theory on, and I got to try it today, and it was uh, pretty smart. Well, last night we found a bike light and put it on Kai's bike, and um, he loved it. We rode together, and he was just, this is so cool. <laughs> and I go, yeah, man, this, you can mountain bike at night. I wouldn't mountain bike at night, but uh, it's a good way to get injured. But yeah, you could ride around at night with a light on, a good light, and it just opens up a whole other world of uh, training and having fun and, and stuff. And, but anyway, um, 
I had a theory that part of my um, problem was running at night because this is one of the only times I can run. I end up running at least, a, you know, a little bit at night or a lot at night, depending on what time I get going because of being an age grouper and the schedule. And running in the dark where there's no light because my favorite run path has no lights because it goes through woods. Um, you can't really see where you're putting your foot. So you're actually running kind of sloppy and it's not the best running form. And I think that adds up. So I've got this, I got it last year and I dug it up while I was looking for Kai's light and it's, it's amazing. It's a, um, it's a clip-on kind of floodlight, and it's it's called the Moon. It's X T A A R or X T A R R something like that. I think it's made by Samsung, and it's called the uh, Moon Moon something. I don't know, but the lens on it is frosted, so when it lights up, it casts a floodlight of diffused light. And it's got different settings for intensity and all that. And the other the other thing to know is if you run at night, if you wear a headlamp, you can't see uh, shadows on the ground. And uh, because it throws the shadows behind the object and you can't see it because of the line of sight, the light is coming exactly from almost where your eyes are. So it doesn't cast shadow. But if you hold a flashlight low, like by your waist, um, it throws a shadow so that anything that sticks up throws a long shadow. So it really contrasts and accentuates your um, stuck on a school bus. Your uh, terrain that you're about to go over so that you don't um, trip over anything. It's an amazing difference to hold a flashlight low versus uh, wearing a headlamp. And so this clip-on light, I run with a running belt that has clip-on flasks. And so I clip this light, I haven't done this in a long time, so I wanted to talk about it again. I clip this light to my, um, my waist, the front of my running belt, and I went, I went running and my foot placement was so much more precise and advanced and I was able to run more relaxed and more in control and I felt like it really helped uh, my running form so that I didn't have uh, a bad running form and I just felt like I was running more smoothly and more confidently and then when I did get out on the sidewalk where there's street and cars um, I turned the setting down so it's just uh just like a, a soft light, but cars coming at you cannot see that you're there. And then when I went back into the woods again, my loop has uh, two sections of dark woods. One's really long, and one's like a mile, I think. And the uh, when I go back into the woods, I just push the button on my waist and it, light, it floods the ground in front of me. And it was amazing, absolutely amazing. It's so great. And it's waterproof, or water resistant at least. It's really, really cool. 
So I'm encouraging people to check this thing out. It's a clip-on light called the moon and if they're not in production anymore I would buy six of them <laughs> all right I'm at W to the ERK got to check in see what's going on with uh, the flooding situation and catch up on the stories about uh, what's going on and still what needs to be done down in H-Town in Houston and also don't forget the big thing is don't forget Rockport and Port Aransas those towns are smashed absolutely smashed and we're early on in and trying to help uh, these people out, see what we can do. Out, bang. All right, getting into Zentri Mobile Studios. Got some uh, little updates for y'all. Let's see, there goes a the jogger. Oh, getting in, getting in the Nissan Xterra, which I bought specifically for the roof rack, but now traffic's getting so bad, I don't have time to put stuff in the roof rack. I'll be late for work. I sit around and do that, so I gotta let stuff air out in the car if it's a cool cool it's mounting the microphone there cool uh dry day warm dry day whatever as long as it's not raining then uh i can crack the windows on my car at work and uh, i'm backing up trying not to hit anybody and i can let my stuff kind of air out I'll probably unpack it a little bit while i drive to work you ever see those people that shave while they're uh driving Looks a little crazy. Man, I tried something cool today. Ah, water, ice water. That was uh, really interesting. Maltodextrin powder with a pad of uh, butter in my coffee on the way. And what butter does, what fat does, is it slows down everything. But then also, supposedly, it motivates your body to burn fat somehow. I'm not exactly sure how or if that's entirely true. But tests show a uh, dose of fat kicks off fat burning. So if you eat some fat, then your body goes, oh, um, time to burn fat. So it was really interesting. I um, It's about 100 calories. What is that, uh, 25 grams? For you gram type people of uh, maltodextrin powder mixed in my coffee sipped it on the way in with kelly gold is it kelly gold butter which is like super high quality butter that's supposed to be grass-fed and all that hippie dippy awesome stuff and i like the taste of it for sure i like buttered coffee and oh man stuck in traffic now school has started and I noticed two things one the uh, the most critical thing to swimming well and swimming long uh, and covering the distance is um, being able to breathe if you can uh, breathe well if you focus on breathing then uh, and catching your breath then you actually swim faster no matter what and I um, I have this loping style of freestyle that I can do. And I notice that what it does is it, um, and I lope with the long side on my breathing side, my right side. I notice what it does is I get uh, extra air that way. And then there's, uh, and that helps a lot. And it cleans up my form for some reason. When I do loping style freestyle, I end up, I notice I end up bending my arms the right way. And 
Uh, swim was 4,500 yards in just over an hour, hour and 20 seconds or something. And nonstop, I had a little goggle leak at first, but the, uh, what was the other thing? Oh, I just had a brain fart. So let's see, uh, freestyle breathing, but oh, the other thing was I noticed that my, um, my swim didn't fade. And in fact, at the end, I had energy to sprint the last 300 yards. I was uh, hammering it, maybe 350. Uh, going hard, plenty, plenty of uh, strength. Felt it uh, kicking some butt and finished really, really, really strong. And I was like, that's interesting. That's really interesting. That, and it wasn't much butter. It was like maybe a pad of butter, if that's a thing. Maybe a pad and a half. Doesn't take much fat. Fat has four times as many calories as, um, as carbs. And then, what was the other thing? Well, I guess I'll, I'm going to talk a little bit about ashwagandha and Rhodesia. Ro it's in my bag here. Let me see if I can find it. But um, ashwagandha is just an herb. You can get it at the grocery store. It's not on any kind of banned list either. I've checked all that. And uh, oh, my green smoothie, I've been adding. Um, <laughs> that was an adventure this morning. Rhodiola. Um, that's what I was thinking. Well, I'll talk about that in a minute. My green smoothie, I've added frozen broccoli in there. Just a little handful of frozen broccoli. And uh, oh my God, you can barely taste it. It's uh, really good. And it kind of adds a little bit of chill because it's frozen. I had blueberries in mine yesterday. But, uh, and then to keep Emily from getting mad, the Vitamix is so loud. Uh, I took the Vitamix out in the garage. So the part, I fill up the, the blender, you know, the big cup, the canister thing in the kitchen with kale and carrots and like I said, the broccolis and you know, a little ground up flaxseed, ground up chia seed, a um, little bit of ashwagandha, a little, little bit, not too much. and. You know, rinsing stuff off, but since uh, turning on the Vitamix sounds like uh, firing up the Mercury, a 250 horsepower Mercury motor on the back of a bass boat, Bassmaster 5000. Um, I took the motor part, the bottom of it, took it out into the garage, and I'm gonna leave. I left it out there, <laughs> and and uh, fired up and made my smoothie ground it up out there where hopefully it won't wake up Emily and Kai anywhere near as much. It won't be as loud. The garage is pretty far from the bedroom, but I'll find out later today uh, what she thought. And man, I just cannot make myself make a smoothie at, uh, at night and put it in the, in the freezer. I'm just not into it. And last night we were on the, um, on the phone a bunch with my uh, mom, uh, and dad in Kingwood on the verge of getting evacuated they were uh, three houses from water coming into their house and they're in their 70s so uh, they can still get around okay but not great anymore 
So I had to really keep an eye on that whole situation. But, uh, you know, no power, no anything, uh, just cell phones and generators. And uh, everything's cut off to Houston, big time. Oh, but anyway, ashwagandha is a... Uh, this herb and it means ashwagandha means uh, wind of the horse or horse wind or something like that and that's because a little bit because it smells like horse <laughs> like horse fur and a lot because it um, I wouldn't say it really gives you energy but it kind of gives you like a low torque kind of strength and it also has it's called nature Xanax it, it makes you relaxed so what I found is it's awesome to take a little bit. You can buy it in capsules or in powder. And it's awesome to take a little bit before a stressful meeting. And uh, you really notice the effect. You're a lot more calm. And uh, yeah, it's like Xanax. It's actually really cool. But then the other thing I've noticed is before workouts, if you want to keep in zone two and work on your breathing, like the swimming thing I was talking about, then uh, taking a little bit of ashwagandha before your swim is, uh, or yeah, especially before your swim, but before your workout makes you feel good and relaxed and you can have your nice workout and just chill and put it on like down-tempo chill music and you just feel amazing when you're done. And I've been using that for like a year, uh, a lot. Like, uh, and not a lot at once, but I'm just saying very frequently. And I like it. I really, really like it. And there's like no side effects except that you just feel good. <laughs> it takes the edge off of life. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing that this stuff is out there. And then um, my buddy Morgan told me about Rhodiola, R-H-O, R-H-O-D-I-O-L-A. R-H-O-D-I-O-L-A Rhodiola and it's very similar except it's nature's EPO apparently it gives you um, a low level energy boost like um, makes you uh, it's kind of like caffeine but no side effects and just makes you feel uh, good and supposedly what it does is it um, reboosts or boosts uh, revitalizes your blood with oxygen I think a little bit kind of what EPO does and that's why EPO is banned EPO is a cancer drug that when um, patients are beat down it helps them feel better because it helps them recover faster from the chemotherapy well rhodiola um, supplies your body with um, a little bit more oxygen and some people take the two together ashwagandha and rhodiola I'm not, uh, I'm not all that up on rhodiola yet. I'm not an expert on it. Very happy with ashwagandha. And uh, like it a lot. And I think that has a lot to do with me uh, swimming better is just um, breathing better. I grew up with asthma really bad. I smoked in high school and a little bit in college. So my lungs uh, just don't work all that great compared to, to um, their original original form I'm thinking of something else that's funny but um, yeah 
I just thought I'd mention that. I also wanted to talk a little bit about the fight with... Oh, we're going to do an episode about uh, ashwagandha and rhodiola where I talk about it in depth. You know, it'll be like the title thing that I talk about eventually. And uh, I don't like being like a, a person that promotes, um, you know, one style of, of eating or food or nutrition or whatever. I think we take a variety of things and it totally depends on the person. And I've noticed that when I talk about... Um, low carb, high fat, or whatever, people, everybody's looking for a solution, I understand, because I am too, and they, they cling to it, and they do something just because I said to do it, so I'm always kind of like, well, you know, I do this, but don't, don't hang your hat on it, like, it's the Bible, or something like that, um, stop that, and I want to talk about the McGregor fight, this is really interesting, um, Floyd, Mayweather, you know, super duper 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 boxer, but I'm not a big fan of his because he uh, supposedly beat his wife, allegedly, and also um, guys that go around parading all their money all the time is annoying. Um, and then, uh, but he's he's like um, he's won 50 fights now, apparently 49, 50, 51. If you count hitting his wife, what somebody said, <laughs> and. Um, but anyway, and Conor McGregor is an MMA fighter, and Conor's a decent uh, puncher. It's not a boxer, it's different. And uh, the fight between the two, what was interesting is the efficiency. So Floyd eventually wore out McGregor because Floyd, they're playing his sport, so he's been playing it his whole life, and he's super efficient at it. And it's like somebody that's been riding a bicycle for 50 years versus somebody that's been riding a bicycle for two years. Yeah, the two-year bike rider ain't that bad, but a 50-year bike rider has got some efficiency. You know, the way he leans the bike, the way he, uh, um, some kind of mentally challenged driver up here. And the way you use the ring and you don't have to think, and that's really important. When you're real, when you become a master at something, you don't have to think about it anymore. You don't think when you chew gum, right? It doesn't, it doesn't cost you any extra calories. Well, McGregor has to think whenever he boxes because he's so new to it. That burns extra calories, and also his movements aren't quite as efficient. You know, they're 95% efficient, but that or 90% is efficient, but that little 5%, that little 10% adds up. So that's where volume, when you're training in triathlon. Um, really pays off. The more you do something, the reason you get so much faster when you swim, bike, or run a lot is you're driving in the neuro the neurology of how to do something and your body finds the fastest, most efficient way and the next thing you do is you're running an eight-minute mile um, at a low heart rate just because you've been running so much and your body isn't thinking about how to do it anymore. It's just doing it. How about that? All right, I gotta go into W to the ERK. Can't wait to drink my group smoothie. All right, out, bang. All right, in the Zentri Mobile Studios, on the way to W to the ERK. Man, heard some uh, interesting stuff in the past uh, couple days. Well, one thing, we've got helicopters flying overhead, military helicopters, uh, probably uh, flying relief to Houston. There's a military base to the northwest of us here in College Station. It's up in Killeen and Fort Hood 
is what it's called. You've heard of it. And uh, Houston is to the southeast of us, so we are in the flight path of uh, helicopters to the point of where I've seen helicopters, one helicopter going one way and another one going the other way. So they're, that's how rapid the, uh, the relief for Hurricane Harvey flooding is going. And also, um, which way should I go? Oh, that way's a mess. I'm not going to go that way. I'm going to go this way. And also, let's see. Man, I was running last night, and I heard a really cool podcast. Uh, the model, oh, what's it called? I've got it on my phone. I, got, I took a picture of it because I wanted to share it. The model, model health. It's got a guy, black guy with a, um, a hoodie, a light blue hoodie on. The model health podcast. And uh, he's a really good talker. It's really inspirational, like how to do a good podcast, actually. Hold on, I'm going through a school zone. I'm going to turn this thing off for a second. It's the episode titled um, Hunger and Craving. And it's, it, he does such a great job of outlining what cravings are and how to control them. And a craving uh, is um, where you have a nutrition de- deficiency. And so, like, if you have an iron deficiency, you typically crave chewing ice. People that want to chew ice usually have an iron deficiency. So there's all these symptoms of different deficiencies. You know, you have a sodium deficiency, then you crave uh, salty foods, and the list goes on and on. But what's interesting is this feeling of, like, you're a failure because you have a, because you have a craving for some kind of foods, when actually... Your body, just it doesn't think you're a failure. Your body's just telling you you're not a failure. The only thing you fail to do is eat right ahead of time. And, and then uh, fighting a hunger or a craving for something is a losing battle because you, your body is hardwired to, to uh, make you fail at resisting certain cravings. And if you eat nutrition nutritionally dense foods and get all the nutrition you're supposed to need, supposed to get, then you don't get uh, cravings that you can't control. That's one thing, but something um, something new that I learned putting two and two together was, was really interesting was that um, you can have a craving for a very particular type of food, like say french fries or Oreos or whatever, Actually, that is learned. Um, your body doesn't know what's in a food, but if you... I'm waiting for a car to go by. Come on, car. If you um, are... Uh, if you eat a certain type of food, and then that alleviates... There's a helicopter right there. Dang, it's a, it's a uh, Black Hawk. It's going north, uh, northwest. If uh, you crave... If a certain type of food alleviates a craving, your body remembers that, right? So you needed uh, this, and then you ate that. Your body's going to remember. So then you're going to start craving that food. To to uh, your body's going to start, yeah, wanting that food if you have that that craving again. And then there's the habit of that food at a certain time of day to relieve a certain type of symptom, right? So that you can break wanting potato chips after a bike ride and getting in that habit is more of a learned behavior and 
eating enough, putting enough sodium and getting enough calories in your bike fuel and before you take off on your bike is the change you need to make. If you come, if you, if you put enough electrolyte, sodium, salt stick in your bike fuel and you take off uh, before your bike ride that morning, you have some eggs and maybe a bagel, you know, like have, have a, a mix of nutrition so that when you start off and then you eat enough calories on your bike ride and drink enough water, then you're, when you finish, you're not going to come in the house and then want to eat an entire bag of potato chips because you didn't short yourself on some critical nutrition, especially micronutrients, right? Because if your body is missing some micronutrients, then it's going to try to get them however it can. And if whatever you're eating is high in calories and low in micronutrients, like potato chips, it knows that it's going to have to eat an entire bag to get what it needs. Uh, and so it's going to overload on calories to get the, um, to get the uh, iron and zinc and magnesium and potassium and sodium and chloride, you know, that it needs. When, if you just did a little bit of, uh, of smarter food choices up front, then you'll, um, you'll, uh, you'll not crave all the calories. Isn't that cool? Super cool. Anyway, um, I asked Emily this morning if she heard me make my green smoothie yesterday because I made it out in the garage and she said, you did what? And I was like, yes. So, and then uh, she was actually up today when I made it in uh, one room over and she said she could barely hear the blender Vitamix. So those of you that wake up your family making your uh, green smoothie in the morning, guess what? <laughs> you can make it in your garage or something and then... Uh, your family uh, won't hear you. It was pretty cool. I really liked it. And let's see, what do we have on top of that? Oh, I wanted to talk about uh, bike riding on Zwift. We, um, I got on Zwift this morning on Watopia Island and I was just killing it, absolutely killing it. And um, I'm drinking buttered coffee right now, but this morning I got up and had a uh, small bowl of coconut chia cereal. So that's kind of like a granola cereal, but it's got coconut flakes in it and chia seeds, which is like high in a mix of nutrition. And it gives you some carbs going, but then I use coconut milk, which is uh, high, in, high in fat, uh, low in, very low in sugar. So it's like a nice blend of like everything. And then in my coffee, after listening to that podcast last night with all the... Um, you know, get your mix of nutrition and everything. Uh, and my coffee, real quick on Google, I, uh, I searched for maple syrup nutrition. Maple syrup is really high in zinc, and then it's also got magnesium and other stuff in it. And, you know, guess what doesn't? Maltodextrin powder. Maltodextrin powder has nothing. It has just carbs, right? Coffee, coffee slurp there, buttered coffee. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to do a tablespoon of maple syrup in my coffee to get going. And wow, man, it's, uh, it had fewer calories, fewer carbs in it than the maltodextrin I put in it the day before in my coffee. But, oh man, plus it tastes so good. It's like, uh, it's like 60 calories, you know, it's like, um, it's like a big piece of, you know, sip on it. And it just was amazing, absolutely amazing. So I, I 
tablespoon maple syrup and I use real Canadian maple syrup because if you get stuff that's cheap, a lot of times it comes from China, it's mixed with water, it's flavored, it's really high fructose corn syrup that's flavored with crap. So get real Canadian maple syrup. And then on top of that, there was something. Oh, the before I got on the bike, um, I did something that I noticed uh, made a big improvement. I was down in the aero position on my bike within like eight minutes, seven minutes, something like that. And that's really weird. Usually it takes me a little bit longer to get into the uh, aero position because uh, I'm just stiff, you know? I'm old, I'm old and disgusting. I'm like 44 years old, you know? So I'm not as flexible. And my, my handlebar, aero bars are a little bit lower than my seat, just a tad, you know? So it takes a little while to get up, get up in them in them bike guts, you know? And I was, uh, got a fire truck, some wide berth and um, what I did was I stretched before I got on the bike and the stretch I did was I brought one leg kind of up to my chest and put it up on a table. Actually, I put it up on a bar stool, but it's hard to tell you. It's uh, about the height of my waist. And so I brought my one leg up, um, kept my other leg straight. And so my uh, knee was almost in my chest and then I leaned into that and then I did that on the other side as well. I think that actually made a huge difference. It felt good. All right, so that's it for now. Let's uh, go back to, um, I got some rubbing sound here. Let's go back to uh, W to the ERK out, bang. All right, let's see if this sounds any better. We are going to do what I put in my green smoothie this morning. Let's see how the audio quality thing sounds. All right, first off, two leaves of kale and rinse them off in the sink. I'll get my Vitamix, the big cup thing, the big container open out in front of me. And two leaves of kale, rinse them off, and then break off the stems that are left and feed them to my dogs. Black Lab is waiting for his and likes it. And the yellow mix, Zoe, um, she's also waiting, but she wants to eat it just out of jealousy that the other dog got something puts it in her mouth and then spits it out after a second. And people who say that dogs don't have uh, personnel, crazy, they totally do. And then put in a small handful of carrots. It's easy enough to do, baby carrots. And hey, there's a Tesla SUV. It's got a little spoiler that popped up. I never noticed that before. Anyway, then the next thing is, uh, oh, I heard baby carrots are actually regular carrots, but they're ugly. And so they trim them down so people will buy them. <laughs> funny huh and then uh, broccoli broccoli florets you know the good part of the broccoli and a small handful of those then a spoonful of chia seed flaxseed and then I put a little bit of flax oil in there for the fat and some apple juice to give it a, just enough sweet not much maybe half a cup of apple juice apple juice is a very strong sweetener and I want to switch over from using that to um, use uh, superfood green juice that way I get more uh, vitamins in there instead of just just apple juice because superfood green juice has uh, it's just a sweet but it has you know all different and then I did a handful of mixed nuts and this is uh, cheap mixed nuts from Kroger they're salted but it's got it's cashew it's always disappointing how many peanuts they put in even when they say less than 50% peanuts it's still 49% <laughs> Uh, and that gives it kind of an interesting flavor, a green smoothie, to have some nuts mixed up. Uh, pretty odd. 
but it doesn't taste bad. It's just different. And then finally I put in, oh, I ended up right behind this Tesla Model X one. And it looks nice. Looks like something Samsung. Put in matcha powder, like good dose of matcha powder. And that's your green tea. It's good for your teeth. It's fluoride in it. Energy brightens the eyes. And then a little bit of ashwagandha. And then water with that. Take it all into the garage, like I said, which is shameful. I take it to the corner of shame in the garage of shameful health and then blend it up. And then I bring with me um, some water. The bottle I'm gonna end up putting it in, I bring with me some water in that. And that way I can add water to finish the, the blending. And then I don't have to go back into the halfway crop. And then I fire it up, blend. It was good to go. And that's it, that's what's in my green smoothie, out bang. All right, that is the end of the training log. I'm back in the training cave, Zentri non-mobile studios. You can hear the echo. Need to put some some uh, padding up in here, but I'm in the uh, corner. I've got Emily's bike. I've got my bike, and we have a um, an elite Dorito Dorito, <laughs> as DC Rainmaker says, uh, on its way. A smart trainer. I'm very excited about that. But just looking at the setup here, got the uh, bike and then in front of that I have a smaller computer monitor on a um, hospital table which is an adjustable height table that you can uh, slide halfway under a bed and I put my laptop next to that and then over that I can see a, um, a regular TV but it's a, a flat panel TV with a Chromecast stick in the back of it and to that I can cast YouTube videos at the same time so I was doing something pretty cool where I was um, uh, doing this weekend I did, it's Labor Day weekend, I did one hour run uh, early while it's cooler. And cooler is a relative term. It's freaking insanely hot. I finished the run just boiling hot, covered in, uh, just soaked in sweat, jump in the pool, cool off a little bit, and then hop on the bike and do a two hour bike. I tried chia seeds just a little bit in my um, water bottle and the, the, um, on the bike, and I ended up having stomach pain, and it was just a tiny bit, like a pinch, literally a pinch of chia seeds. And also the water bottle, one of the water bottles I was drinking out of at first had um, a weird chemical taste to it. So that was uh, probably soap or something. So anyway, my stomach started hurting, and that started getting dehydrated, and, and uh, started getting little cramps and stuff all over. And that made my swim uh or my swim my bike ride um had to cut it short started uh, feeling sick like i was going to throw up that was on saturday so sunday a lot of times when i coach i give people the uh, same thing two days in a row or every weekend and because you did it last time you actually get smarter right if you never do the same thing you never learn how to um, get more efficient and smarter at it and so a lot of times I like doing the same thing back to back to back to back. And then you notice that you get better. It's really cool. So Sunday, uh, did the same thing and was actually able to run a little bit faster at the same amount of time. Cause I got smarter. I ran eight miles and then I, uh, an hour and 10 hour and 15 minutes and then, but ran a little bit faster cause I was smarter. And then on the bike, I was able to do the full two hours instead of an hour 45 and, um, biked that almost as fast 
but also noticed that I was um, getting these little twitchy, um, what do you call it, uh, cramps, and getting dehydrated, and so I've been adding more sodium to my diet and snacking on salted nuts to help with that, which uh, leads us into, well, that was really cool, three hours back-to-back days, and I felt so good today, just going nice and easy. You go easy, but the volume is so big that you, um, it is great training, and that's the key, is if you go slow enough, then you can keep doing it, and so today, which is Monday, Labor Day, I got up and felt like running, so I went and ran, and I've got on my run loop, my repeatable run loop, I've got at the top of the uh, biggest hill, which is barely a hill, I've got a mailbox that I stretch against and stretch out my calves, and then I can keep going, and it's just repeatable and nice, and it's consistency throughout the day, it's uh, really good stuff, but... Let's see, we've got um, some sponsors and some letters that we need to read real quick. And um, big thing is salt stick. So um, I am sweating so much and going through so much hydration that I forget how much I need to put more salt stick in my uh, fuel and water. And you probably need to do the same. It's August, man. It's crazy. It's September now? September 4th? Yeah. And uh, it's still really hot out there. So you can go to saltstick.com slash Zentry. And with the password, they got a password set up for us, Zentry, you can get in there and get yourself some salt stick at a discount, 25% off. And man, it makes a huge difference. I added more to my uh, salt or to my uh, fuel and water this morning, some in my coffee before I took off. And salt stick doesn't just have sodium and chloride in it. it doesn't, it's not just table salt. It's got potassium, magnesium, like all these other electrolytes that, that match what you sweat out. And my big story is uh, seeing the best doctor that I ever used to see that I absolutely loved. I asked him if I, uh, if I needed to be careful with how much uh, sodium I take in. And he said, you? <laughs> He said, you could put a salt lick. That's something that cattle use. You could put a salt lick on your kitchen table and just take a swipe at that with your tongue every five minutes when you walk by and you'd be fine. So if you're an athlete, you're an endurance athlete in warmer climates, man, the amount of sodium that you can take in is probably not only can it be way higher, but you can um, do much better training and do yourself a favor by doing more. So check out shop saltstick.com to see where you have a store locator near you. That's pretty cool. And if you live in the United States, then you can get um, 25% off by going to saltstick.com slash Zentry. Cool. And let's read um, let's read some emails here. Well, just some donors. If you donate to Zen and Yard of Triathlon, you get your name read on the show. I love doing that. And let's talk about that. If you go to the left side of zentrathlon.com, well, if you go to zentrathlon.com, there is, um, you can play the show right from there. And you can see, uh, you know, how long the show is. You can see the wave file from it. It's pretty neat. It's playing from SoundCloud. So you can play it over your phone, you know, through that player if you want. And also on the left side, there is a donate to the show, which is always appreciated. And then on the right side, you can get some Hornet juice. So on the left side, if you donate, then you get your name read on the show. And then also you can ask all the questions you want. 
because I recognize your name because I read it out loud. So here we go. We've got Peter Salzin, James Godak, Fabia. Oh, Katie Joe Fabia. Sometimes I put it in backwards. Matthew Heinz, Allison Frutos, Matthew Froes, and Daniel Blondin wrote in uh, just a quick message. Hey, Brett, just thinking about you and other friends in the Houston area. Yes, you are my friend, even if we have never met and you know nothing of me. <laughs> uh, hope you and your family are safe and dry. That's really important. Uh, Dan. Yeah, uh, this morning I went for my run and then as I hopped in the pool and I heard another helicopter going overhead. Uh, providing relief over to the Houston area. It's really a mess down there. Uh, M. Webb and Tyler Moyer, Spiros Fetsis, and Curtis Fossen, Dwayne Morin, and Joseph Deaver all helped with donations to the show to keep it on the air. And if you want to have something fun and cool and that actually helps you and support the show all at the same time, there is Hornet Juice on the right-hand side. You can scroll down. It's purple and yellow, and it's an amino acid powder that is scientifically proven to enable your fat burning and turn you into a diesel engine. So your longer workouts are better, and you don't need as much sugar. You just feel just, it's crazy how you feel. You feel like a jet engine on low, <laughs> like a microwave. It's really cool. You feel like a diesel motor just cruising along. It's because your fat burning has been turned on and you can just go farther and farther and farther. I've used it a million times and it's always amazing. And also some people like it instead of um, instead of just uh, a snack, they'll add some of it. It's kind of like grapefruit flavored. It's kind of cool. They'll add it to something like I've added it to my coffee. Actually, it's pretty cool uh, on my way to go swim. And speaking of that, we have... Oh, if you get the Hornet Juice, then you get an email from me, and it also comes from New Zealand, which is kind of cool. It does take about 10 days, so give or take a few days, depending on the mail, and they uh, you do have to wait on it a little bit, but that makes it all exciting, man, when you finally get it. You're like, I got my Hornet Juice. You hold up in the air, and angels sing, and you go, oh, and that's yeah, pretty neat. Plus, you get stuff from New Zealand. It comes with a little pamphlet hopefully, on how to use it. Or you can go to their website and see how to use it. It's pretty neat. Uh, let's see. We have uh, UCAN. I just ordered myself some UCAN with some, with my own discount code <laughs> because UCAN is expensive. But the coolest thing about it is you don't need to use all that much. You get 15% uh, off with discount code ZENTRIME. And UCAN is a super slow-burning starch. So it's perfect for swimming. I use it a lot for swimming. You just add it to um, to whatever you, you're drinking on the way to the pool or before your race. And it's uh, you can do like 80 to 100 calories of slow burn so you never get a bonk. And because you never get a bonk, it tells your body it's okay to burn fat. Kind of like the Hornet juice, but a different way of doing it. It's pretty neat. So you can get, like I said, 15% uh, off, which the last – I ordered the powder – and uh, if you order it from UCAN's website, then to me, it's 10 bucks in shipping. And the Zentri 15% uh, off wipes out the shipping. So basically, you get shipping for free, which is really cool. And I've searched around the internet a lot. And it is uh, the best deal, um, give or take like a dollar. So there you go. And also, if you order over 100 bucks of UCAN, then... Um, 
then shipping is free, by the way. And then you add on top of that 15% off, and now you're really cooking. You're cooking with gas. And let's see. Have we read all that? Yeah. Um, we've done our emails and everything. So we got coming up next week, we have uh, Chattanooga is the big race. We It's the uh, 70.3 championships. And let's see. We might do that interview with the uh, blind triathlete, which would be really cool. And we'll continue to um, just do lots of our training and everybody staying safe out there. And let me try to think what else. Oh, don't forget, big shout out again to Triathlon Taron and go check out my interview with him all about where I came from and what makes me tick. And uh, on his podcast that's coming out, I won't be the first episode. I'm sure he's got more interesting guests than me. And the guy that just goes out and trains like crazy. <laughs> but uh, let's see, he's trying to grow that uh, podcast. And I think he needs it. I think Taryn needs a little bit of long and uh, more in-depth for himself to make himself feel more well-rounded. And you will find it with podcasts. And I'm really excited for him to uh, get that in there. And uh, But also check out his YouTube channels. Like I said, when I was on the uh, bike and I'm doing two hours at a time on the trainer, um, I've got Zwift and I saw that Jesse Thomas is on Zwift, which is really cool. And also he's on Strava. If you want to Google him and follow somebody that's amazing, just like Lionel Sanders is on Strava. You, one thing to get better is to see what the really good people do and how they balance it all, but how long they train and how hard they train and it gives you uh, an insight into what it actually takes to be that good. But also, uh, when I was saying I have the big monitor, the TV monitor over uh, uh, Zwift, so I'm playing the bike video game, I'm biking along, but I look over the monitor and over the horizon a little bit higher in my field of vision. I posted it on Instagram, by the way. I have uh, videos playing, so... You know, four hours of biking on the trainer this weekend. I was watching Norseman, and that's uh, really cool. And also, I watched a little bit of Triathlon Terran videos and uh, GCN and some other cool stuff like that. And also uh, news. And also took a little bit of, uh, of ashwagandha to just to chill out and just sit back and relax. It's like a, a quarter of a teaspoon is uh, just enough. It's really nice. And I think that's it. So stay tuned for next episode. Everybody stay safe out there. Work the uphills, cruise the downhills, and keep the rubber side down out. Hey, how would you like to become an endurance monster? Get coached for your next big endurance event by yours truly, Coach Brett from Zentri. For only $1.99 a month, I build you a completely custom triathlon training plan using the industry's gold standard training platform. With Training Peaks, you can easily go online, see what your workouts are, then upload your results seamlessly that very same day. Then I build your next training block based on how you've been doing. I review every single workout and provide comments on what I'm seeing that you've done great and where we need to improve. If you want to get faster, better, stronger, and be able to go longer, don't do it alone. Reach out to me and we can work together with my depth of experience and get you to the finish line as fast as possible. Send me an email, texafornia at gmail.com. That's T-E-X-A-F-O-R-N-I-A, texafornia at gmail.com. 
put coaching in the subject line. See you at the start line.